in three two one and we're live are you not entertained are you not entertained is this not why you were here how about new you crazy dutch bastard what we've got here is failure to communicate 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious. I don't call me sure. What's up, everybody? It's the Dads That Drink. It's Friday night. Guys, tonight, if you've never seen the show, if you've never heard of us, tonight is the night to join us. We are so honored with our guests tonight. We have so much to discuss. We have a former Navy SEAL, former NFL player, who's going to talk to us about how to get through life and how to become the elite person that you always want to be. Mikey Jerome, he's back in the house. He's making dirty martinis for us out of California. We're clear in Texas to go out. He's not clear in California. So let's get right into it. As always, by my side, Jeff, we're back in it. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Glad to be here. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to having Clint on and talking with him about all these cool things he's done. Absolutely. I, I'm so excited about it. I don't know how many times I've told you this week. I'm so excited about this interview. Um I I, I kind of just stumbled into Clint when I was at work, and and it was uh, Kitzma from there. It it just worked out. But let me describe him to you guys because he needs the introduction that I'm going to give him. So. Clint Bruce, he was born in Arkansas. He was raised in Texas. He was a standout football player. Bruce was given the opportunity to play at multiple Division I programs, and ultimately he took his sense of patriotism and passion for the game to the United States Naval Academy. Bruce became one of the most decorated naval athletes in the Academy's history. He was a four-year letter winner, captain of the football team, MVP, and named a multiple all-star teams during his career. Bruce is also one of the few service academy athletes given the opportunity to play professionally with both the Baltimore Ravens and the New Orleans Saints. When given the opportunity to become a Navy SEAL, Bruce made the tough decision to leave the NFL. He completed basic underwater demolition school, BUDS, training in 1998 with Class 217. Bruce reported to SEAL Team 5 in Coronado, and as a SEAL officer, he deployed with three platoons in direct support of counterterrorism missions and the global war on terror. Since leaving the Navy, Bruce found two companies and one foundation. The first, Trident Response Group, or TRG, is a trusted advisor analyzing risk for America's big businesses, leaders, and families. Holdfast is a speaker's bureau that coaches and employs veterans and transitioning professional athletes, providing world-class speakers to world-class companies. And the most important, carry the load. It's a foundation created to help America better honor fallen firefighters, law enforcement officers, rescue personnel, and military during the month of May. Clint Bruce is an integral part of Team Never Quit. Today, he resides in Dallas with his college sweetheart and their children. 
without further ado and is with the utmost respect we invite you on clint how's everything going there man it's amazing it's 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 a, it's so cool to be on this uh this program with you guys it was it was interesting when you said 9 30 the first time i instantly went to 0 9 30 a.m and then and i realized it was 21 30 right so right it's the sec it's the second 9 30 so uh so no it's it's fun I, I would not be doing anything worthwhile or valuable at this time on a friday night so it's awesome to be with you guys man actually add some value to the hour well i'm i'm so glad you're here and and you have such a storied career and what i've learned in everything that i've studied about you and read about you is i think your mission in life is to make people the best that they can possibly be if they want to be the best dishwasher that they can possibly yeah. be then be yeah. the most elite dishwasher you can be and yeah. we're going to talk about all that but uh, we want to kind of go through your history. We want to go through your organization. So let's let's start off, you know, with uh, being born and raised in Arkansas and then coming to Texas and being raised, being a football player and going to the Naval Academy. And I think Jeff has a lot of questions here for you, because as everyone knows, he played college football. So let's kind of get into your story, Clint. Yeah, man. Um, I, I define my story as kind of Forrest Gumpian. I just kind of I just kind of stumble upwards, man. It's this, this increasing cycle of failing forwards. And, and uh, so I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. I love being an Arkansas kid, man. I grew up watching the Razorbacks. So ended up being coached by a couple of legendary Arkansas Razorbacks when I was in Annapolis. And uh, moved down to, to Texas when I was in middle school to Garland. And if you're going to move from Arkansas to Dallas, Garland's a good way to do that. That's a real, it's a real seamless transition. You, you feel like you're still in Arkansas. You're just close to the Six Flags and went wild, so it works out pretty great. Um, you know, I, I'd always loved football, but I wasn't very good at football, and I just love the game. And I, I jokingly tell people that I'm an achieving average. And it refers kind of what you said earlier. My deal was like, hey, don't abdicate yourself from an adventure because of your perception of what your talent is. Because talent is this relative deal. And, and it takes all kinds. And, 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 and the whole of nation goes to war, right? So the dishwasher is as important as the door kicker at some point in time. So just be this heroic version of yourself. And, and that was really instilled in me from the early days of just being a very average football player. I mean, I was, I was the fifth string fullback in eighth grade at Brandenburg Middle School, which, which wouldn't have been bad, but there were only three of the fullbacks. So I was like, hold on, you're skipping a whole position on the depth chart? Uh, I, had, I had one run for 25 yards, but it was because the other team thought the game was over, and I just tripped 25 yards. I just tripped. Little chunky Clint just tripped on himself, and and uh, but I love the game, so I was content to be a uh, a contributor, to be a, a scout team player. And you know, we all grow as we get older, and and uh, you know, for me, there's this point in time. I remember asking my dad, and my dad told me, he's like, "Hey, if you don't have the athletic ability to score touchdowns, hate those who do." I said, well, who does that? He said, linebacker. So I was like, all right. So I started playing linebacker. And, but, you know, I, I'd never I, – I, I think I, I think I cultivated the athleticism and physicality to be a linebacker before I cultivated the mentality to be a linebacker. And there's just kind of like belief in self that precedes any kind of great thing. And, and I never really started a game in football until halfway through my junior season in high school. We were up by 28 and um, – one guy got hurt and my coach put me in and he wouldn't even make eye contact with the head coach. He's like, man, if I look at the head coach putting Bruce in and all of a sudden those <laughs> 10,000 reps I had at every position on the field as a scout team player manifested itself in this kind of 
intuitive knowledge of the game and the game just made sense to me. And I tell people all the time, it's like, I would have never had the football success I had, had I, had I not had those years and those 10,000 repetitions as a scout team player, because that cultivated knowledge and that built this kind of, you and I were talking about this in the ready lab the other day, we were talking about, you know, how those repetitions create this. I'm, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of this concept called instinct. I, I, I don't know that it's actually, true what i do think is there's an ability to act before you can articulate why you did what you did and that's a function of repetition and exposure and so my success on the football field had a ton to do with just being a great teammate and and wanting to help however i could and playing you know center guard tackle fullback you know tight ends they never really put me out a wide receiver uh, as a scout team player uh, it, it may and i just, i think i tried it once and it just wasn't good for anybody, really, at the end of the day. My self-esteem, the team's morale. So they moved me back into the slow, chunky positions. Um, and then, you know, uh, really just the game made sense to me and was very had a very successful year. My junior year was named a kind of multiple uh, all-star teams, which is really neat. I mean, I'd never really had accolades as an athlete. And, and, um, and I was still kind of uh, immune to them in the sense that, I was kind of as surprised as everybody else. So I, I didn't take any of them for granted and then headed into my senior season. And we had a really good team. Uh, the guys I played with were amazing. And, and, um, but as my football career grew, my, my, my father diminished my, my senior in high school. My father, uh, was a big, powerful guy, huge personality, tremendous heart, very loving, very kind, very generous, very funny, but, but very resolved too. I mean, he was a formidable man. And if he believed in something, you knew that he believed in that. And, and, and you were slow to, slow to cross beliefs with him. And, um, but he never did that in a way that um, was dishonorable. It was always, it was formidable, but honorable. And, uh, you know, so it was interesting. I had this senior season where I watched um, my physicality grow and his diminish at the same time. And, you know, and he passed away my senior year, um, and that influenced a lot of my decisions. Obviously, uh, I had an opportunity to play at multiple schools, a lot because of the program I was with, and then, two, we had these coaches that were just powerful advocates for you at the next level. And, and you know, my, I remember visiting my dad in the hospital, and he said, son, you got to make a – you got to make a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision. And um, I just always loved the Army-Navy game. The Army-Navy game had always been something I respected and admired. And I remember, I think it was, it was, it was maybe five or six years ago, I was interviewed by a major television network about just sports, rivalries, right? And I, they said, what do you think the greatest rivalry is? I'm like, what do you think? And I just, I'm always curious as to what people think. And, and they listed off the ones you would think, you know, Texas OU, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida, Florida. Oklahoma State, State OU. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State OU. And I was like, man, I love those games. Those are amazing games. I said, but we stand apart. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, the Army-Navy stands apart. And they, they kind of were taken aback a little bit. I go, you tell me another game where everyone playing is willing to die for everybody watching, and I'll tell you that we have company. And that's the way I felt about that game, and I, I wanted to be a part of that. I've always desired to be a part of something bigger than myself, mostly because I – I'm keenly aware of what I can do by myself, and it's not that impressive. But when I associate and affiliate with um, allies of e equal conviction and noble and purposeful endeavors, man, I get to be a part of some amazing things. So 
so obviously went to Annapolis after that and, and was part of a really remarkable turnaround there. Um, and again, it was just these seven, nine, you know, 12 guys that just decided that losing wasn't okay. And Hey, we embodied a strength of the nation. So why would we ever be okay with losing as a team, uh, when we're, uh, undefeated as world champions as a military and just kind of poured that conviction into the field. And it was really amazing because my senior year, uh, we were really good. Army was really good and Air Force was really good. And I stayed close with my peers from the service academies. And we just collectively, uh, and it was interesting, um, five of the captains of all three service academies at that time were from Texas. Me and Ben Fay at Navy, Bo Morgan at Air Force, Ronnie Makeda at Army. Uh, Ronnie's from Mesquite, Bo's from here in Dallas, Trent Christian County, Ben, Fort Worth Brewer, and me from South Garland. And we just kind of um, decided that we, we would make other colleges reluctant to play a service academy. Uh, and was part of some really great teams there. Had an opportunity to play in the NFL. Uh, no one knows that because I played the same position as Ray Lewis. <laughs> He's pretty good. I was at the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> and I remember standing behind him and just going, it might be easier to become a Navy SEAL than to beat that guy out. And uh, I'd been selected for the, the, the SEAL program out of Annapolis, which was a huge honor. And um, kind of chose to leave. I, I, listen, I love the game. And the game taught me so much. Um, but I kind of figured that uh, the game would teach me more of what I already knew in the NFL. Uh, and I could not consider a scenario where if I'd gotten hurt and couldn't pursue becoming a SEAL, I, I just it couldn't I couldn't fathom that reality. So I, I just kind of got to go where I don't know. And so leaving the league w- wasn't very hard. And uh, I'd just been married and my bride's amazing. And she's like, hey, let's go serve. That's what you came to do. And thus became that adventure. So that's kind of the that's kind of the prelude. That's kind of uh, the, the, the Forrest Gump preamble right there. So I'll, I'll start off with so, so okay. I was going to get into, you know, how you chose the Naval Academy over playing at other places. You kind of addressed that, you know, what your father said, you know, what you're making a 40 year decision when when you went to Navy. Did you anticipate trying to be a SEAL or is that just something I was? Oh, no, that's that's why I went. That, that's okay. the whole reason I went. I, I, I had I had read a book when I was in seventh grade. And what I remember from the book is they said these guys are the best. And every special operations unit should say that about themselves and mean it. Right. Uh, but, and that's the book I read. And I've always loved the water. I've always kind of been a water baby. Um, I, I love being in the water. It's kind of my my uh, environment I feel very comfortable in I grew up in lakes and ponds and creeks and all these other things and um, so I'd resolved very early I actually called the Naval Academy told them I want to come play for and um, you know I I remember so my desire was to go be a Navy SEAL and the Naval Academy seemed like the most streamlined way to do that which which isn't true by the way it's it's, that's pretty inaccurate on my part um, but I remember I, I busted my dad. My very first special operations mission was busting my dad out of the hospital of Medical City and, and taking him to this recruiting dinner. And it was not Ocean's Eleven, man. It was like nine guys from South Garden High School and a 1998, 1988 Ford Mark 8 van. It was, it was sketchy. But we busted my dad out, and I took him to Royal Oaks Country Club and, and put him in a suit. And he'd been ill for a little while, so being back in a suit was 
meant something to him. Like he reclaimed kind of his 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 uh, identity. And this older gentleman bumped into him and um, poured, accidentally spilled a glass of wine on him. And, and my dad was on steroids at the time, which is just part of the normal treatment of things. And he got pretty upset. And, and I'll never forget this. Um, and I remind him of this. And, and every time I remind him, he kind of remembers it. Roger Staubach was there and he saw it. And what Roger Staubach will tell you, one of the greatest leaders he's ever known is a guy named Tom Lynch. So Tom Lynch was a linebacker and a center for Roger Staubach. who's a superintendent of the Naval Academy when I was getting recruited. And Roger saw this gentleman spill wine on my dad. And he goes, hey, did I ever tell you about the time? And in Texas, when Roger Staubach says, did I ever tell you about the time? It's like EF Hutton's got nothing. It's like, boom. <laughs> and I saw all these graduates that were very distinguished, very successful men. They grabbed my father and they hustled him out of the room and they broke into the Rolex country club, uh, golf shop and they stole my dad's shirt and they took him in the bathroom and they changed him and they brought him out. And I'm like, I'm in, you just committed a classy misdemeanor for my father and all, you know, every sailor has got a little bit of a pirate in him. And, and I just kind of, for me, it was uh, to see that men of action in place as it related to my family it was very powerful for me. And I'd grown up, you know, watching, you know, listen, I'll be honest with you, like Magnum P.I. is one of the more formidable characters in my life, you know, and Mag <laughs> Tom, Thomas Magnum, Naval Academy grad, football player, former Navy SEAL. One so of the greatest shows yeah, ever. It's one of the greatest shows ever, right? And I still wear those shorts and my wife and children hate it. Uh, <laughs> And I tried to get in a Ferrari one time and it split those shorts and it was kind of bad for everybody. So I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I still wear the shorts, but I don't ride in the low cars anymore. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it was, uh, it was the place I was supposed to be. I, I tell everybody I was, I was born in Arkansas and made in Annapolis and, and, and I just got to live under the guidance and tutelage of incredible fighters and leaders and athletes who you just had to mean what you said or you weren't going to stay there for very long and we were a bad team when i showed up bad team full of good guys uh and when i finished we were a great team full of great guys and and i got to be a part of that a small part of that i don't know was that your question that's the question i wanted to answer i don't know if no, that, was that was good question that was good good all right so when you talk about the military and you said that you wanted to go to the Naval Academy because you wanted to be a Navy SEAL, like that was what your end goal was, was to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah. And the guy recruited me said, you just tell him. I said, I want to be a Navy SEAL. He's like, yeah, you just tell him. And that's not true, by the way. It's it's it's, it's significantly harder than that. Uh, absolutely. He was, he, he was fired. Now, <laughs> my question, though, is when you go there, uh, I spent time in the military nowhere near the level that you were at. Yeah, you, you just did work. You just actually worked. Yeah, I, listen. Actually worked. Um, here's the thing, though, that I, I, I knew, and especially I saw it when I went to, like, um, when I went to dive school and stuff. Yeah. What I learned was that people, if you go there and you say, I want to do this, I want to be a Navy SEAL, I want to be a fighter pilot, I want to do you're going to get dogged until you become that actual thing because 100%. until you do that, you are, you're a doggy. I mean, until that call, happens. It's a call you out mentality, man. It's a call you out mentality. Absolutely. And I, and I think and one of the things I tell people all the time is like the more talented you are, if you're in a moment of pure self-awareness, if you just acknowledge what your talents are, you have to surround yourself with truth tellers wherever your talents are. Because the world will tell a talented person anything it wants to hear, right? That's why Hollywood exists. That's why commercials exist, right? 
And so where you have talent, you must surround yourself with truth tellers uh, so that you're not deceived and you don't deceive others. And let me tell you what, man, you, you show up there as this 230 pound, you know, barrel chested kid that wants to fight for America to the extent he knows means. And, you know, you can already bench 350 and all these other things. And you're staring at Jimmy Galladay, who's a silver star recipient from Batia Airfield, who's a Navy SEAL who might weigh 175 pounds. And he's looking at you you get in your box real quick and you understand the difference between words and work real quick. And, and, and we all need that. We, we need to be surrounded by people. We, you know, scripture says faithful, the wounds of a friend, and you got to be around truth tellers in, in that environment, the military, the service Academy, the locker room, the ball field, the battlefield, um, they, it suffers liars poorly. And, and I think we all have the capacity to deceive ourselves. Um, so it's important that we put ourselves in the crosshairs of truth tellers that we won't ignore. And and the second part to that question is that when you do that and you get called out like that, I I think that you'll agree that a lot of people wash out right then. Yeah, they sure. they learn right then. You know what? That's not for me. I, I right. you know what? I want to be a Navy SEAL and that sounds cool. And I saw the Charlie Sheen movie and and it's really cool, but. It's not me when they start getting called out. And I think that's a good thing to hold because I don't 100%. think anymore in, in the world that people are held to the fire a lot anymore. Um, right. And and that really, like you said, that, that shows who you are. And, and if you're truly dedicated to that cause, it, it's going to come out. It, you're going to wash yeah. out one way or the other. Yeah. I tell people, hey, it's okay to be wrong. It's just not okay to stay wrong. I mean, all of us think we want something, right? Yeah, but But... I remember I was telling one of my young guys this, uh, I think it was last week. I was like, you know, I would never stop a guy from quitting during hell week. And, and if guy was thinking about quitting during hell week, like I would almost try to make them quit because, because I loved them. And, and that doesn't make sense until you think of it in this terms, the line between thinking about quitting and quitting is that thin. And if you're thinking about quitting in a controlled, extremely uncomfortable, but controlled environment, What's going to stop you from thinking about quitting when there is no option, right? So what this means is this might not be for you because if it was for you, it wouldn't occur to you. I've, I never thought about quitting. I thought I was going to get kicked out. I thought I might fail a couple times because apparently got a run, which I, you know, I probably underweighted that as far as preparation, right? Um, but I never thought about quitting. And, and I, but I would find those guys that quit during Hell Week and I'd grab them. I'm like, hey, you're not a quitter. You didn't finish but you're not a quitter. The quitter is a guy that never even swore in, right? Yep. So it's okay to try something and realize it's not for you, but in order to be a heroic version of yourself, you got to pivot off of that ridge line and head to the next one real quick. And, and the faster you do that, the more honest you are with yourself and others, um, there's no shame in not making it. I mean, it, it, it hastens you to the place where you should be doing what you should do where you have the best potential to be this heroic version of yourself, which we desperately need you to be, whatever that is. So <clears throat> I've gone and watched your, a lot of your public speakings and videos. And what I really love about your stuff is, um, I mean, for me, it's almost like you're speaking to me on some things, but I'm sure a lot of people I am. feel that way. I am. Yeah. Some people have called me like, you, you got to talk to this dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure That's, a lot of people feel that way I'm, because a lot of people <laughs> need to hear this stuff, but. You well, I'm you. That's the thing is I'm, 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 I'm no different right. than the person in the audience, right? Right. But you speak of five things a person can be in any endeavor, which are bad, average, good, excellent, and elite. Right. And uh, 
you, you want to balance your life with the uh, between the excellent and elite mm-hmm. as much as possible. Can you, can you speak on that? And I yeah. know elite's kind of a mythical sense of things. It's, it's yeah. epic. But, yeah, uh, for sure. And then the follow up after that is who are some people that you really feel live their lives on an elite level? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so for me, uh, one of the things I talk about, I talk about outcomes and outcomes can either be bad, average, good, excellent, lead and who you are is what you're willing to accept from yourself others and my deal is if it's your passion or profession you should only be okay with somewhere between excellent and elite and and like i will only ever be somewhere between average and bad at golf but golf is in my passion and profession so it's okay right it's not about not doing things it's about waiting your time in a way that you can account for your time well when your time is over and our our, all of our time is going to be over at some point i think those of us who live in this world understand that acutely um and for me, elite is this mythical ridgeline. And what it does is it pulls you past excellence, right? And so for me, I love this kind of, and I call it the ridgeline life, right? And all of life is about going to this ridgeline and, and getting this thing you said you wanted to be in and getting there with people that you want to celebrate being on that ridgeline with. But here's the thing about ridgelines. You can't live there. Like the ridgeline, is the, it's the most spectacular view, but it's inhospitable. It gets the best and the worst first of everything. So when you're on a ridgeline, you got to make a choice. Hey, do I go back down or do I pick another ridgeline and start going, right? And, and so f- for me, elite is this next ridgeline. And, and frankly, a lot of times I don't even care if I'm right or not. Like I just pick a ridgeline and I start going in this cardinal direction. And I'll learn a lot along the way. And, and what I know is I won't go back to that last ridgeline and I certainly won't go down from what I came. But I will always advance, right? And... I, I think for me, that has, I think you heard me saying one of the things like, I have, I have no fear of failure. I, I don't like it as a friend. I don't appreciate it. Uh, but when you lose your fear of failure, you become a very dangerous version of yourself in the best sense possible. And so for me, what I encourage people to do is just pick a ridge line and go. Um, it's like these young guys are like, hey, when they start shooting at us, which way we move? I'm like, yes. The answer is yes, right? Like, just don't, I mean, don't, just don't stay there. Don't let them course correct, right? Like, just go somewhere. Now, there's better ways to move than others. But the wrong answer, unless you're behind cover, is is to stay there, right? So, and, and, and for me, there's this really kind of famous saying in the SEAL teams, and it says the only easy day was yesterday. And so, <laughs> an easy day is your expectation. And, and another way, just to elaborate on this a little further, because I, I don't want to marginalize accomplishment and achievement. So, so the way I try to describe it, and the science is really irrefutable, uh, this is not about marginalizing outcomes and success. This is about recognizing that we have to rest, we have to recover, and we have to revel. We have to rest, which is, which is passive physiologically. We've got to sleep, right? We have to recover, which is active, and it could be it could be massaging, it could be chiropractic, it could be all these other things, these proactive ways to take care of our, our bodies and our brain housing group, right? And then we have to revel. We have to celebrate what we did and who we did it uh, with. But then we're at a choice. We're at a choice point there. And you can either relax or you can reload. And my desire is to always reload and to be out around those who reload. And so when you're in times of intense urgency, it's not about resting, recovering, and reveling. It's about doing those things very quickly. And, and if you ever watch a combat unit after a gunfight uh, that was successful, it, if you if you got in the weeds, it would almost look like they didn't win because of the way that they're treating each other. 
And the way that, and the reason we do that is we know what the body wants to do. The body wants entropy. The body wants ease. And you have this adrenal dump. And in order to counteract that, you know, one thing is like, hey, we didn't get them all. They're coming back, right? And so we, we, we try to uh, program ourselves and encourage each other towards reloading, vice relaxing. Because um, you can relax when it's done. When it comes to life, like, what is done? What, 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 do, you, what do you mean by being done? Done so, is dead. Done is dead, man. Done is done. D-U-N, done. So let's let's build on that a little bit with the uh, you also talk about pursuit points and yeah. how to be elite and yeah. what what those things are, those pursuit points that make that person elite. So let's kind of build off that last question from Jeff sure. and talk about sure. those pursuit points that when you hit that ridge line and you look around and you can rest or you pick yeah. the other one and you start moving. Yeah. So when I talk about the pursuit points, what I spend a lot of time as this average guy surrounded by elite people. Um, and what I found is most of the elite people I know, some of them had varying degrees of talent. All of them were talented, but none of them talent was not their plan. A what would happen is they would couple this, this genetic talent, this gifting with this resolve and this process. And, and so for me, as I kind of studied that on the ball field, on the battlefield, in the boardrooms, I went to business. What I found is there's these pretty consistent qualities, and I called them the pursuit points. And there's five of them, and it's and elites are balanced, they're curious, they're tribal, they're intentional, and they're authentic. And when I say balanced, I don't mean it's an equal distribution of effort. What I mean is you build high ground for hard days. Um, you invest in those things that you need to be there for you when you, you need to be reminded who you are, what you're about, and why you're doing the hard stuff. Uh, curiosity for me is a talent aggregator. The minute I sense a diminished curiosity in someone, I want them out of my life. Because mm -hmm. if you're not curious, what you're telling me is you're perfect or you're done. And you can't be perfect, so now you're a liar or you're lazy, right? And, and I was with this uh, elite team the other day, or it was a couple months ago, and I looked at their best player, and he is truly remarkable. I said, listen, if you're the best, but you're not curious, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be the best until someone comes along who's as good as you or until the game changes. And for the foreseeable future, there may not be anyone who comes along who's as good as you, but I, I promise you the game's going to change. And if you're not curious, you're going to miss the boat. And so for me, curiosity is intellectual courage. It's a declaration of desire, right? Tribalism. When I look at groups of people, you can call them gaggles, groups, teams, and tribes. Uh, gaggle is united by uh, uh, wrong place, misfortune, wrong place, wrong time, wrong choice, right? A, a group is united by preference. Um, teams are united by opinion and purpose. Hey, I think I want to win a championship. It's an administrative declaration. But a tribe is united by conviction. <laughs> a, a tribe is what happens when the only thing matters is the man and woman and the mission next to you, right? So the mission, the man and woman next to you. And when you are tribal, you have a speed and a flexibility and an adaptiveness that teams simply don't have. And, and, and I'll give you a great example of this. Um, you can see it on the field. There's a, there's a team's row, tribe's flow. There's an element of effortlessness that exists within a tribe. And it manifests itself in speed and fluidity of movement. And, and DJ, we see this all the time in the shoot house. The guys you train together, you can see when there's a, like a herky-jerky start-stop, all this other stuff when you're doing a hostage rescue evolution. But when guys work together, there's a flow. And it's, it's like watching water roll downhill. 
and that's a function of moving at the speed of trust and shared conviction. And when you have trust and shared conviction, you have a speed that's really hard to compete with, right? And and so for me, I I, I, I try to understand those. I, I don't look at the pursuit points again, balance, curiosity, tribalism, intentionalism, and authenticity as linear. It's more like a, a five-lane highway heading towards the place you want to go. At any one moment, one of those may be more important than the others, but 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 you have to be aware of what's going on in each of those because you may have to switch lanes. And so intentionalism is knowing why you're doing what you're doing. Um, to have that um, uh, resolve, that clarity of purpose that allows you to stay above the pain uh when you're going through hell week the only way you make it through hell week is you know why you started hell week like you can only finish hell week if you know why you started hell week and if why you started hell week was because you want to be a navy seal it doesn't really matter what you have to do right um and then authenticity man and authenticity for me is two of those require a tremendous amount of courage curiosity because you gotta you gotta be willing to let people know you don't know uh, and then room full of apex predators it's you kind of want everybody to think you already know but i love being around the guys who want to win more than want to look right because when you win you look right and then authenticity authenticity is when you're willing to you know listen we we can we can distill mistakes into time at the end of the day right Mm -hmm. and when you're not authentic when we're not authentic we're doubling down on the time lost that mistake so we're, we're either spending that time again ourselves or allowing someone to exhaust time that we need. And, and, and in sports, that manifests itself really clearly. Like if I make a three-second mistake, but I don't tell anybody about it, I've doomed 10 other guys on my side of the line of scrimmage to make potentially a three-second mistake. We just mm-hmm. lost 30 seconds. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but like for me, I didn't – there's games I didn't lose. I just ran out of time. And as I inventory that. One of the reasons we went out of time is guys weren't talking to each other well enough. Hey, man, that guy got me, man. He watched this guy. When he sets it this way, this is what he means, right? And, and certainly in, 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 in combat and in battle, um, if you let someone else learn what you already know and that ends poorly for them, for the rest of your life, that's on you, right? And so, Clint, can I, me, can I interrupt you for just a second? Of course. Of course. So when you talk about that and you say that when you're not communicating right, what do you think that that is? Is it pride? Is it you it's don't fear. want people? Okay. It's so fear. It's fear. I mean, pride is fear if we're being honest about it, right? Like, um, and scripture is really cruel. And it's like pride coming before the fall, right? So um, there's a difference between being proud and prideful. Okay. There's nothing wrong with being proud. Being prideful is wanting to produce a perception internally and externally that may or may not be true or may or may not be sustainable. And I would tell you, um, I think every door kicker, warfighter, apex predator, alpha male, if you haven't read Gates of Fire, you must. And without giving it away, one of the things that Gates of Fire about the Battle of Thermopylae and Leonidas, it really is all about wrestling with fear. And I would tell you the only reason people aren't authentic is either because they're ignorant they don't know they made a mistake or they're afraid. They, they're, they're afraid that they will lose face. They will lose trust. They will lose authority if they don't share the mistake. But I will tell you this, if you're in a position of leadership and you don't share the mistake, you deserve to lose face, authority, and trust, right? And so fear stands between us and this better version of ourselves 
in many ways, we just can call it by different names, right? Absolutely. And getting back to something like with your cell training, um, obviously it's well known for how intense, uh, how great a challenge it is. And I've heard you talk about the failure point. Everyone gets to this, whether you're an Olympic athlete or whatever. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point of it. It's what do you do when you get to that point, right? That's right. How did, what did you learn about yourself that maybe you didn't know you knew before you did that? And how has that translated into your life and your approach? Yeah, I love that question. So, so one of the things I, I tell people is like, hey, uh, so Ernest Hemingway said, we're all broken and most of us are better at the broken places, right? And I tell people, like, fear the unbroken man because he's either lying to you or he's never dared. And both of those are dangerous men to be around, right? So yeah. Bud's is going to break you. That's the point. The point is we want to see what you do once broken. Can you rise? Can you? So like for me, the, the, the word I teach my, I don't teach my daughters fearless. I don't teach my daughters unbreaking. I, the word my daughters know is indomitable. Indomitable is, is maybe my favorite word. Indomitable means is you won't dominate it. I will rise. You, you, you will, uh, my holding company is called Dreadnought. And, and Dreadnought is really the battleships. And it was just guns and steel, right? And a dreadnought would like power slide up into a sea battle and just go, hey, listen, I can dish out more pain and take more pain than you. So let's just get this thing going. Right. And at some point in time, it is about resolve. And indomitable is about when you're when you're when you're physically dominating someone and they get back up again, it does something to you. Right. And as athletes and as operators, we've seen this like, man, I just gave that guy my best. And he's not down yet, right? right. So the trait I, I want to teach my daughters is indomitable. And I tell them, hey, in any competition, you lose, you get beat, or you win. Losing is you beat yourself. Getting beat is you just got beat. Man, your dad got beat a lot of times, right? And winning's winning. Just don't lose. Just don't beat yourself, right? And so the second part of that question, is, people ask me that all the time, like, what did you learn in SEAL training? What did you learn in SEAL teams? And here's the, the odd answer. Um, I didn't learn what I learned in SEAL training, what I learned in the SEAL teams was that everybody who loved me and was speaking truth in my life from the very beginning was right. Mm. The SEAL teams for me wasn't a laboratory. It was a proving ground. Um, and, and so when I was going through SEAL training, there wasn't anything about what they were trying to show that I was learning. You, you didn't have time really to learn anything. You, you had time to believe in what you thought was true and so for me my experience in the special operations community was a proving ground not a learning laboratory and what i learned is that the men and women who loved me that poured into me that that uh, told me things i didn't want to hear um that encouraged me to be this better version of myself that they were right my strength coach and uh when you lose your father and, and listen I, I, I was fortunate to have a father right so sure. i Hey, I had a great dad. He died, right? Um, that's better than my friend who never even knew his dad, right? So I, I'm not a victim. I don't feel sorry for myself. Um, there are times I wish I would have listened to my father uh, more before I lost him. I think we probably can all have that. Um, but when you're going through Hell Week, you you hear... You listen to what the people who loved you most said, and you believe it or you don't. And if they were lying to you, it's 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 gonna it, it, you're you're gonna you're not gonna make it. 
Sure. And if they're telling you the truth, then you're going to make it right. And I remember Phil Emery, our strength coach, you know, when you lose your dad, you just kind of create this um, amalgamum of, of a dad. Like you take this percentage of this guy, percentage of this guy, percentage of this guy. And I remember my linebacker, you know, Richard Bell and Dick Bumpus, they were his wisdom. You know, Tommy mm-hmm. Ray with, his, with my linebacker coach with his intensity and ferocity. And Phil Emery, who's the director of player personnel with Atlanta Falcons, who was the accountability and standards. And I was so advantaged when I went through SEAL training, went through Hell Week because of who I'd sat at the feet of and listened to and trusted. Um, And all I had to do was bet on their blood, sweat and scars. Um, So I was I was incredibly fortunate. And I think that's what sports teaches us. I think sports gives us an opportunity for 60 seconds on Friday night, Saturday or Sunday to put what we believe to the test against men who say they want what they want as much as we do and, You're right. and to figure out who's right. Absolutely. So <clears throat> in talking about this and, and listening to what people have told you um, and looking back on when I was in the military and you do road marches and you do all that, kind, you know, just, yeah, time wasters is is what it is it's it's to see who wants to be there and who doesn't want to be there yeah what was the what were the voices telling you in your head because everyone has those voices telling you you got good voices and you got bad voices in the military and and i would tell you the most most hard guys have more bad verses than good absolutely because they're the hardest on themselves hundred percent. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get the, uh, the way I tell my, my friends and my daughters, I said, Hey, listen, there's three actors on the stage. There's the body, there's the brain, and there's the mind. And if you cultivate the mind, it can impose its will on the body and the brain. But if you don't, the body and the brain are, are going to do with the body and brain. The body and brain only care about survival. But, you know, the, the body and monkey brain are, are just going to survive. It's what they're going to do. And that's where I think the talent and the, the law of diminishing returns on talent kicks in because the more talented you are, the more you delay that moment when your talent isn't enough. And if you're in your mid-20s and your rookie season in the NFL and you finally eclipsed your talent, it's not a character deficiency that you don't know what to do. It's just the first, in t- first time it was open mic night in your head and your mind didn't know what to do. Like, <laughs> But for make like in eighth grade, my mind's like, hey, shut up, body and brain, right? So I'm going through hell week, and my body's like, I'm freezing. Brain's like, I got hypothermia. And my mind's like, shut up, and it grabs the mic, and it, like, just just crushes this, like, one solo from David Coverdale and White Snake, and it's like, yeah, I'm okay. It's like it takes the mic, right? And so the more we encounter adversity, the more we acclimate our minds to taking the mic so the brain and the body can't do it in – and I just had so many situations and so many circumstances and so many people that had taught me how to do it, had put me in a position where I had to do it or I wasn't going to make it, and then uh, had shared their own moments. So for me, it was a little bit inevitable that I would make it through training, just given the abundant blessing of leaders and mentors I'd had. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, and scripture again talks about this. It's like, hey, count, count it all gain. Count adversity all gain, right? Because what it's allowing you to do is learn how to figure out what you really want and, and what you're willing to put your your flag in the ground for and, and, and 
what hill are you willing to die on? Sure, and, and, and to, to speak to that, one of my questions is uh, chaos and adversity or chaos versus adversity and how can an individual approach adversity as a good thing and learn to deal with it? Now, if you're out trying to create chaos, that's a whole different yeah, story, yeah, right? Yeah. No, that's and then a big also point. the second part of that is a winning versus uh, victory, and maybe you sure. can kind of tie those in together. Yeah, yeah. So, so chaos versus diversity, right? So chaos, uh, chaos is ever present and and ready to mess your day up as much as you'll let it, right? Uh, adversity is resistance, and and so for me, there are two different animals. Um, adversity is resistance, and 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 I would tell you at this stage of my life, and and since my recallable memory. Um, the absence of adversity has made me more nervous than the presence of adversity because the presence, that. the yeah. presence of adversity lets me know that I'm pushing, right? That, sure. and if, and, and then we, we joke about this, that if it's easy, it's an ambush, right? The only person that can make a plan perfect is the bad guy. If you're an hour and a half into your mission and nothing's gone wrong, it's an ambush. The, the, the bad guy is the only guy that can make it go that well, right? Um, so if you're encountering resistance, that just means you're pushing. So for me, adversity is, is resistance, which means I'm either doing something worthwhile or I'm trying to become a, a better version of myself. I'm iterating towards this next Clint, whatever that looks like. Um, chaos is adversity without purpose. Um, if you're encountering adversity for, for no reason, if you're counting adversity with no end state, with no... Uh, value proposition to you, then, then um, you have to begin to ask yourself questions, right? And, and I tell, I tell people all the time, I was like, listen, to me, I'm not a victim. I happen to me all the time. If I can happen to me less every day, I'll be fine, <laughs> right? Like I'm, I, you know, like I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, you know, uh, I, I think it's um, Micah, and it says, you know, for God will restore the year the locusts destroyed. Well, but I'm a locust. Like, if I'm being honest, like, I'm just trying to, like, be a little less of a locust in my own life every day. That's <laughs> chaos. Um, adversity is pulling this stupid tire on my neighborhood that makes me want to throw up every day, right? That's that's iterating me towards this better version of myself, right? And so to the second part of your question, the distinction between winning and victory. So I always say this, and, and I didn't come up with it. I, I heard it in the SEAL teams, and I just kind of grasped it. And the thing was, we always win. And I would tell him, I said, hey, we always win. My wife was like, why do you say that? What does that mean? I'm like, we always win is different. You think I'm saying we are always victorious. Victorious is an outcome. Winning is a state of, winning is an end state, right? So for me, victorious just means, hey, we played a game for 60 minutes. You were victorious or I was. Um, we always win means, hey, if, if I'm not going to lose. But if you beat me, I'm going to figure out how you beat me. And you're going to have to beat me again. A different way next time and sometimes that happens right sometimes you just beat you great hey you're gonna have to beat me a different way next time great and Absolutely. you do i'm like oh i didn't know you could beat me that way that was pretty impressive right but but for me the distinction of victorious and winning is vic, vic, victorious is a period as one is a comma it's, a, it's it's kind of a state of mind and it's you're gonna suck the marrow out of whatever that last event was and just commit to um i, I was with this pretty legendary coach and and he's amazing he's like a child he's 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 nearing his 80s and he's he's just got this energy and this 
just passion for life. It's infectious. And I love being around him. And we were around his team and he said this, uh, he said, make no mistakes. And when he, when he said it, I flinched and he saw it cause he kind of sees everything and I didn't say anything. But after practice, he came up to me. He's like, Hey, when I said, make no mistakes, you flinched. I go, yeah. He goes, why? I said, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm not a national champion. I'm not a Super Bowl champion. So, so I, I'm not, I'm not representing myself as your equal, but, but here's what I would tell you. Um, I would never tell a room full of geniuses to make no mistakes. And you're surrounded by geniuses right now because you want genius to innovate. You want genius to elevate the craft. And like if Barry Sanders is your running back, the last thing you want to tell Barry Sanders to do is like, hey, run on the A-gap. Someone's there, fall down. Right. You, you, you have two plays. Barry run left, Barry run right. And when Barry runs left, you watch what Barry does. And you're like, hey, other people can do that. That's a new play. And you're like, no, no one else can do that. That's just Barry, right? But it, but it elevates the craft, right? And he goes, well, what do you say? I said, I say make new mistakes. Because when you tell a genius to make new mistakes, here's what you're doing. One, you're calling them to be a professional. Because in order to make new mistakes, what do you have to do? You gotta, you gotta know your past mistakes. You gotta inventory them. You gotta watch game film. You gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta, hey, my foot wasn't planted this way, right? So when you're telling someone to make new mistakes, you're, you're calling them to be a pro. And in the NFL, I say this: there's, there's two kinds of guys in the NFL. There's players and there's pros. And players are guys that happy got to the NFL, and pros are the guys who want to stay there, want to do something, right? And you can tell if you're dealing with a player or a pro by how they inventory and act on their mistakes. So when you say make new mistakes, you're calling someone to be a pro. And you're also giving them permission to create and innovate and do what they're uniquely gifted and capable of doing. Um, we were I was joking. We had this little party at my house. And one of the guys here from Iowa, and I won't say his name because he's a, he's a, he's a visible personality. And, and it's, that's just up to him what he discloses and what he doesn't. But I had this amazing guy that I got to work with, and he's from a small town in Iowa. And he was just maybe one of the best operators, just intuitive operators. Some of the guy from Alaska, or maybe two of the best, in, just intuitive operators that have been around my entire life. And we would sit there and watch them just elevate the craft by how they would just do this 20,000 hours of freaking milking cows or whatever hmm. they did when they were growing up. And it would translate into this movement on a ship or move whatever. And, and, and they made the craft better for it. So when you say make new mistakes, again, you're saying two things. You're like, hey, uh, take yourself seriously. Take the craft seriously and help the craft get better, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so for me, that's really what we always win means. We always win is being ruthless with yourself and those around you for the benefit of these things you said you wanted to do together. Yeah. I love that, man. That's, that's really speaks to me. It's super cool. You, that translates from personal life, life, sports, whatever it is. And I think so many people get stuck in that. Oh, I didn't win. I, I, I didn't do this. And then they have their own birth. So I think that speaks to a lot of people. So I, yeah, I man, I, 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 on that's that. one of the things we have to do as parents too. We have to let our kids lose. Like I spend most of my time, tuning up parents on the sideline either team like, i won't parent your kid but i'll parent the parents in a heartbeat <laughs> and, I, and i and i grab these dudes i'm like hey man what olympic team did you play for in girls soccer like well i didn't i'm like well then shut up you don't know what you're talking about and your daughter's gonna hate you in this game if you don't shut your pie hole because you don't know what you're talking about and she's trying to choose between listening to you and listening to the coach and if she pauses we're gonna lose because that's how you win as you go or you exploit people's mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, we have to we have to let our children um, 
fall because that's how we learned and we have to preserve their safety but at the same time we're not really doing them any favors but not letting them discover this heroic version of themselves right and so that's for me like i'm i'm pretty int- I, where I, the, I only really get intense with my daughters if they lose because losing is when you didn't learn from your last mistake right um getting beat man you you've never seen a dad that high fives and hugs all kids faster than me and because of my background and because of my physicality and all this other stuff it's fun to watch some of these other parents kind of fall in line and they kind of get it they're like oh man i, I kind of get that and, and I, I i you know my kids are on teams with great parents so um but it's fun to watch the parents kind of remember what it was like to be a kid and, and i think i've just been very blessed to have lived out some of these things at a really high level i i, I bet you're the same way like as a guy who competed at division one level you know, you watch the game. You're not trying to live through your kids. You're trying to let your kids live, right? And I tell them, like, hey, man, you're either trying to live through your kids or you're letting your kids live. And I can tell you which one you're doing by how you are on the sidelines. Oh, yeah. Ten, ten-year-old soccer. Absolutely. So I, I want to talk about <clears> – <throat> I know you don't talk about your military missions a lot, but there's one that stuck out in, in video that I was watching of you. And it was when you were uh, taking ships and became kind of a pirate – Bought your parrot, wore your eye patch, yeah, so all te- those things. Technically, it's a, technically it's a privateer because we were commissioned by the United States military. So okay, we were we were legal pirates. Legal so, <laughs> the the thing that struck me about this story was, and and I I think it it holds so well today, where you talk about being done. Yeah. And and I, I yeah. if you would, would you please tell this story and talk about being done because. I think that it goes back to your ridgeline and all that other kind of stuff. But yeah. when you look at it, people are like, yeah, we're done. Let's, let's, uh, we're never done. And, and, no. and, and I think that a yeah. lot have lost sight of being done. Sure, so sure. can you speak to that? Tell the story first. Cause I think it's an awesome yeah. story. And then, and, and speak to being done. Yeah. So, so real quick, and, and I appreciate that preamble. I, I'm, I'm not one of these guys who just talks a lot about what happened over there because I, I didn't do very much. I, I would tell you, I, 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 um, I describe my operational career as having done more than some, but less than many. And, uh, and it just is what it is. I, I just, I, it, it takes me half a second to think of a hundred people that have been more relevant in the global war on terror than I have. But we were one of the very first units over in uh, the Middle East after 9-11, and we started what's called a MEO, a Maritime Interdiction Operation. We were taking ships down. It was awesome. We were American pirates. Like, guys had on eye patches. I'm like, that looks cool. We got to take them off, like, both eyes open. I bought a parrot. Um, It flew away. I was pretty sad. (laughs) While I had it, uh, it, you know, it was was great. And um, we hit this ship, and... You know, it's just one of these moments where the thing you're a part of becomes what it was built to be. And it was like watching water roll downhill. I mean, the guys are just amazing. They were just so fluid. And, you know, it wasn't just men. We had a couple female Marine Corps pilots flying around in the helicopters. And and it was just this really spectacular demonstration of skill. and, And it was incredibly successful. And I remember as we were wrapping the whole thing up, I had this amazing chief. And he, uh, he, he, to me, was in many ways what Coach Bompas and Tommy Ray and, and Mike Sessom and Mike Long and all my coaches had been to me. He was a guy that was uh, – but he was like a player coach at the same time. So I was, I was learning from him and watching him work at the same time. 
And so we were buttoning the thing up, and I was pretty proud. I was a young guy, and I didn't have a lot of responsibilities on that one. I just, you know, I'd watch everybody do work and, you know, use the radio. And uh, I remember saying, hey, the boys were excellent. We ought to do something for them. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this just conviction and in some ways disappointment in his eyes. And he looked at me, he said, hey, sir. I said, the boys were excellent. We ought to do something for him. And he said, hey, sir, the reward for excellence is no punishment. I'm not here to be excellent. I'm here to be elite. There's a difference. I'm not done yet. And he stomped off. And in that moment, every amazing person I'd ever been around, every person I decided to chase after my father passed away, they all made sense to me. There was tremendous diversity in the people I chose to chase after I lost my father. Uh, there were men, there were women, there were parents, there were spouses, there were door kickers, there were athletes, there were academics. But all of a sudden, they made sense to me. And how they made sense to me is this. They weren't done yet. They did what everybody else said they were going to do. And they rest and they recover and they revel, but they reload and they reload faster than anybody else. In my mind, that that just, I remember writing this down. I said, hey, I want to be one of the not done kind because my chief said, hey, I'm not done yet. And, and, and I remember talking to him after that. He said, hey, sir, I'm not mad at you. Uh, and the boys are proud, but it can't be done because the work just got started. And, and I'm proud, but it can't be done. And if you're done, then we're done with you because we got to go to work. And, and, and so for me, this kind of like distinction between the done and the not done yet kind became real. And I just chose to be around those who weren't done yet as a, as a, as a spouse, as a parent, as a sibling, as a, as a professional, as an athlete, as a employer, as an employee, it didn't really matter. Um, were you were you reloading while everyone else was relaxing? And if you reload when everyone else is relaxing, I want to be around you. And I want to learn from you regardless of what you're doing. So the second part to that question would be, I, I think that's kind of gone now. A, a lot. I, I think that it, it, it survives in circles, and I, I think it survives in certain types. But I, I think that we are such a... Uh, Right now, society, you can have everything at the touch of your fingertips by your phone, your iPad, your anything. It, it's a, it can come in many different ways and, and rewarding. Do you think that Never Done still exists? And, and yes. where yes. do we look yes. for it? Be encouraged. Here's what I'll tell you. I would tell you the not done yet, yet kind exists perhaps in a population more than it's ever existed. Okay. You, don't, you just don't hear from them because they don't have time to slow down and post things. They're, they're, they're not populating their social media feeds. They're not telling everybody what they just did because they're doing what they're going to do next, right? So I would tell you that the, the, we should be incredibly encouraged by the volume of men and women, boys and girls, who are not done yet. And, and, and we can be confused by their absence or presence because that's not who we hear from. Who we hear from is the people who are relaxing long enough to tell you what they just did, right? The people who are about it, they don't have time to slow down. They're like, uh, how many followers do I have? Like, it, 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 and, it's, and, and I'm not vilifying social media. I'm just saying the person who talks the most often does the least. And, and, and so... 
for me, I, I, I don't have to look very far on a daily basis to be inspired, just driving to work, just driving to work, man. I see these guys out here at 6.45 in the morning, and they're the one thing keeping them from turning on the lawnmower and the weed eater is not disturbing the neighbors. But as soon as it hurts a reasonable time, man, they're, they're, boom, they're on it, right? And, and you know what? Down in my office, you, know, you were down there. Like, I haven't been down there once where there hasn't been someone trying to get better at this thing called protect and serve, right? Um, so so just, just know that the number of not done yet kind is huge. They just don't slow enough to slow down enough to tell you what they're not done yet doing. You know what? I think what they're not done yet, what, what strikes me is human nature tells us be done, rest. Yeah. I mean, I think it's human nature for people to settle uh, being in sales. I think it's sometimes what I see some of these people do is they have a good month or they string something together and like, oh, I'm good. I can yep. chill out for I'm like, no, what you're doing now, it's going to come about in six months. Yeah, that, um, that's just that's just not having your ass kicked enough, right? You know, oh, absolutely. You, like, like the, the the minute you think you're done, and you get punched in the teeth because you because you thought the guy was out cold and he's not. You like you're raising your hands and he's getting up mm -hmm. and rolling his neck and you get knocked in the soup coolers. Like that happens to you enough. You're like, okay, hey, I'm not done till they're till till the adversary, the goal that is like decimated, right? Um, you know, Ray Lewis. I, I got to play with him and it was really funny. He, he says this thing. <clears throat> you watch any of his videos and there's this moment where he'll go like, he'll look at you and he get these crazy eyes. He's like, you know, I just don't think you want to do what I'm going to do to win. And I will tell you, he means that. That is very true. And, and his, he's not trying to beat you on the scoreboard. He's trying to beat you at a, at a level and a depth. James Harrison, you go watch some of these specials on the Steelers. And so someone asked me one time, I ran into a guy I played against in college when I was in the league. He's like, you were the meanest guy I ever played against. I'm like, I'm sorry, I wasn't mean. You're just in the way. Like, <laughs> and it was like for me, there's a place we said we would want to go, and you, I was so offended that you thought you could be between me and what these guys I love said they wanted to do. And and I had this kind of three X mentality. I tried to have this three X mentality every play. I was playing you, I was playing the guy I was playing next week, and I was playing you again next year every play, right? And I was trying to earn a right to lead these people that I was going to, that were going to be entrusted to me as an officer. Like I never wanted to, I was always conscious of the fact that if anybody who worked with me in the SEAL teams saw me play, I did, I never wanted them to see me take a playoff in the fourth quarter, regardless of the score. Right. And so I think when you have that, every conversation is an interview and an audition, every, um, when you put that mentality in yourself, you tend to produce at a level that you're proud of, right? And I think the people that don't just haven't experienced enough pain um, to recognize that you got it. So let's talk about uh, teamwork. And I, I know we're, we're hitting on some, you know, some, you know, like just keywords and stuff. But I, I think that these things are really important to talk about. And you kind of had a mantra when you played at the Naval Academy about getting up off the ground. And, oh, yeah. and it, it, this goes back to one of those things again, where I, I think that we've lost sight of it a little bit where teamwork, I, I think right now the world is me, 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 me. We just talked about it, but with social media, with having everything at, 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 right. at your fingertips and, and making sure that you're taken care of and teamwork has been kind of lost sight of. 
but teamwork and I, I really don't want to say teamwork makes the dream work, but all right, teamwork makes the dream work. I feel is. I feel so much better. But there it is. I, I think, and especially in these times, teamwork is everything right now. And kind of describe your when you played at the Naval Academy, yeah. what your mantra was, and yeah. then why it's so important still to this day. Yeah. So my deal was. If you're really on a tribe, no one gets up on their own. So my deal was like, hey, if, if I saw someone get up under their own power and you were near them, I'm going to knock you out. Like my, my is like, I will, I, I am going to waterboard you right in the chin, right? <laughs> because, because you help each other up, right? And, and, and so the whole deal was like, hey, if you get up under, I'm not going to hit you for getting up on your own. I'm going to hit the person closest to you. Because they should have gotten you and, and, and helped you up. Right. And the thing about helping somebody up is you can tell them the truth when they're helping you up. When you're helping them up, you're like, man, you got burned on that one. Yeah, I know. But you're helping them up because because you're helping them up. You're like, hey, I want you in the huddle on the next play, even though you got your you got smoked on that last one, right? And so we just had this culture of gang tackling. And then as soon as the play was over, dudes are looking for someone to go pick up, right? And it was so remarkable that one of the – I think we are playing Notre Dame or something. And one of the commentators said this, and I've got to find it on video, but he goes, hey, watch this. After every play, every player on Navy football turns and looks, and they're sprinting to their buddy, and they're helping him up, right? And there's just something that I can't tell you how many guys I played against that were like, hey, I wish I would have played on your team. Not because of how we competed, but because of how we loved each other. And Those were your you brothers, know, right? Man, and, 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 you know, my little brother played at Oklahoma State and he played at Baylor, and, and I think we use a lot of these metaphors in sports, and, and no one's the bad guy here, but when we say play like your life depends on it, at, at the service academy, like, we mean it. Like, one of my best friends, a defensive end, he, he flew some of the first airstrikes in Afghanistan. We were, on the, we, were on the, we were on the strip to go get him if something went down, and, and he knew how, what I would do to go get him because he played with me, and I, and I knew what he would do to try to keep me from having to go get him because I played with him. And the same was for, for Air, Army and Air Force. I mean, like, you jump in a helicopter and you see some thick-neck dude flying that, you know he's a West Point football player. And, like, hey, I know what this guy's going to do. And I remember, you know, I lost all four, all Army, all four Army-Navy games by a total of seven points in the last minute, 20 seconds, but oh, I'm over it. I've, yeah, I've processed that. It's, it's not a <laughs> – I've got a puppy out back. You can kick it on your way out of this. But, uh, but, but I remember. Go army. My my last shut your face. Um, <laughs> I remember I collapsed on the field after the last play of my senior season, and I just kind of, I didn't play the best game, but I played as hard as I could. And I was getting picked up, and I when I when I lifted my head up, I anticipated seeing my teammates, and what I saw was the army offensive line. And the Army offensive line picked me up, and they were just like, you're a warrior. Ultimate respect. We love you. Yeah, and it was, it, to this day, it's one of the more emotional moments of my life. And, you know, to be picked up by these guys that I just tried to destroy, and they had tried to destroy me. And, and there was this acknowledgement of what we would, if, if, if what we would do against each other was a, an element of what we do for each other, then we should be encouraged as warfighters to go forth and do great things together. You know, and that's right. Yeah, I think so. You said Ray Lewis and some other people, but I think what those great players are, or are great seals or great whatever is they try to steal their opponent's will, 
and they enforce mm-hmm. their will, will on their opponent. And if you keep doing that and the other guy's not reciprocating, I mean, they're beat mentally, physically, yeah. every possible way you can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Like you, you, there, you can beat someone's body faster than you can beat their will. But if you can beat, you got them, right? You got them. Absolutely. It's like that. It's like great Monty Python. It's just a flesh wound. Come back. You know, <laughs> like when you can live like that, like, dude, I just cut your arms and legs off. You're like, I'll bite your kneecaps off. You're like, gosh, dang it. Like, I wish that guy were on my side, right? <laughs> but, 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 but that's, man, that's true in marriage. And that's true as a parent. Yeah. And that's true as, as doing anything is like, what do you want to hurt for? So absolutely. Clint, let's, I want to move in the direction of, I think, you know, we talk about your, your naval career being a seal, but I think the most important thing you've ever done. And I, I don't think it's talked about a lot is what you're doing for veterans, what you're doing for police officers, firefighters, rescue workers, because I think this is the most compelling part of your story. And I'm not just blowing smoke. I think that people don't know what goes on inside of the minds of these people. Um, When they're done with their military service, when they're done with their uh, police service, when they're done being a firefighter. And we see a lot and we don't talk about it a lot, but we see a lot of suicide and we and and a lot of morbid thing goes on that people just don't understand the mindset of these people and what they've seen. You can never erase some of the things they've seen. It's it's scratched on their brain. Yeah. And it's so you important. Can't, you can't you can't erase it. You can only trump it. Absolutely. Put a card on top of it, but right? there's a lot so, of there's a lot of people. And that, that's what I want to get to is that what you're doing for them is is absolutely amazing so can we first can we talk about what is going on with those people just so we can get that out there to people that might not have any idea what's going on and then what you're actually doing to move them in the right direction yeah um so my passion is to work for the best leaders in america because that's who i want to learn from and win the war on veteran and athlete suicide with the power of daily wins and a good day's work. Because that's the currency that my brain and soul worked on while I was an athlete and an operator. And um, so, you know, m- my own story, I, I fundamentally in- in- into my 30s uh, viewed myself as a protector and a provider. And all of a sudden I come home and I'm not needed as a protector as much. We have amazing law enforcement officers and, and all these other things. So from a, from a visceral perspective, that part of me wasn't needed. Then I was struggling as a provider, right? So mm-hmm. when, when you know who you are, for me, it's this constant tension between counting and costing. And what happens sometimes is for those of us who have served and those of us who have competed at really high levels, Man, our brain is has this very elite standard for counting. And when we fall short of that, and we fall short of that for a consecutive series of days, mm-hmm. we can begin to think that we cost. And the one thing I think every uh, athlete and operator would admit is we have resolved ourselves from a very early age to never cost and to only count. And so when we begin to think we maybe count more, we cost more than we count, that begins a very dangerous conversation with ourselves that if not interrupted, 
can result in this, hey, I, I wonder if everyone would just be better without me. And I've lost friends, and I know y'all have too, that have asked themselves that question and made the decision without asking me. And my deal is like, hey, if you, if you wonder if I'm going to be better without you, will you call me and, and let me answer that question? Because I'll tell you, I'm not going to be better without you. And, and, and so we have to create those conversations and we have to create an environment where that question can be asked, hey, are you going to be better without me? So you can hear the people who love you say, no, I'm not going to be better without you. And then what I've tried to do professionally is create this um, path of transition to where daily wins and a good day's work. Because as an athlete, as an operator, you know, like I was probably in my early 30s before I had to wait longer than three to five days to figure out what I was worth and, and, and my value proposition to those who I loved. I mean, as a football player, like, you know, as an athlete, we think in plays, uh, position coaches and coordinators think in series, head coaches thinks in, 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 in games won or lost, right? And so we had this currency in our brains wired to uh, measure result, measure result. And then certainly in the military, it's same thing. Hey, hey did I matter today? Did I not matter today? And in the private sector, and it, the, the feedback is much slower. In, in, and so that creates a vacuum of self-value and if we're not careful you know nature pours a vacuum so does the soul and that vacuum has to be filled in some way and what i try to do is build and lead businesses to allow veterans and athletes to know that they counted that day and and if the day went okay you'll give tomorrow a chance and if you stack enough of those together with enough of the right i love our clients like man, i just and when i say i love our clients i don't i don't mean that in some trivial way I'm very intentional about who we work with and who we work with are people who I would, I, I like working for and because I like working for, it means these veterans who are coming out could envision themselves working for them too in things that we don't do. I've got three guys that are doing amazing. I got one guy who's, he's one of the angriest, most decorated Marines I know. He's a banker. He works for <laughs> JP Morgan chase. Right. And he realized that servant leadership and, and incredible, husbands and fathers worked for a bank and after working for me he went and got his degree at university of texas dallas got a 3.78 and i had him start working with some of these financial guys because that's what he was interested in and he's worked for them for six years and he's a fast mover and he's killing it and in and, and what i tell people is like hey listen athletes and operators we want to work for inspirational leadership and if you sell widgets but you love your family and you take care of me i'll sell widgets all day long and what <laughs> i try to do in business is create an environment where athletes and operators can recognize the amazing leaders that exist in business and ultimately decide if they want to my mission is in inside 22 months if i've done my job every guy that i get to work with is seriously considering an opportunity with someone they didn't know to do something they didn't know they can do or they found a home and one or some combination of these companies that we get to lead and and you know you've been up to the office and you know the office is a neat place you know my, my wife she she yells at me all the time she's like listen if a 15 year old designed an office 
while waiting for their mom to come pick them up at football practice, it looked like your office. And I'm like, yeah, well, your office would be pretty and smell nice. But, I, I mean, like, I, I got to interrupt yeah. you right there because yeah. this office is not every toy every and i don't mean toy i mean oh, really? there's rock climbing walls there's a full gym there's a shoot house there's a podcast studio there I, everything you can yeah, we, think we of combative scope amy calls it was it the island of lost boys is what she calls it my wife calls it <laughs> listen I've, I've been my wife since college right she's been rolling her eyes at me for 23 years and and what's funny is you know I, and, and again what i try to do is build lead companies that uh, distill the hard skills, soft skills, and experiences of veterans and athletes and make them available to the best leaders in America, right? So when you have the Marine Corps on Friday, what can you do on Monday? Well, you can teach a husband and wife how to move through the house and take care of their children, right? You know how to do that. And I say, hey, just teach them how to clear the house and don't say the F word. But with Marines, I was like, hey, just say the F word less because they can't not say that. Like, it's just, it's genetic at that point in time, really. So, and, um, but the, the, What's, what's, what's really cool is sometimes these guys would come and see me at the office and they would fall asleep. And some of my young guys, they'd be pissed. They'd be like, dude, these dudes are, I'm like, no. I said, listen, you want to know why they fall asleep? And they go, why? I said, you know, cause you've been hyper vigilant since you got back. And all of a sudden you're in a place where everywhere you look, there's someone who's done as much or more than you and your body's like, okay, cool. I can, I can take her down now because these guys got it right. So for me, the highest form of praise is when guys come to the office and they take a nap because they know they can they can let it go because we got it right. And and I try to take that and and nurture that into opportunities and relationships that can benefit them in a way that I can't because I know what I am and, and I know what I'm not. Um, but it's a special place, and, and I'm proud of it. And I'm proud wood, proud of wood. Uh, the men and women I work with have made it. Um, but yeah, man, that's what I get to do today. I, I, to cap it all off, I, this part, um, I, I call it coming all the way home. And you, both you guys will get this as, as athletes and operators and as a guy that continues to contribute in a lot of ways, DJ. Um, I call it coming all the way home. So there's a difference between being here and home. Here is geography. Home is where your people and your passion and your purpose line up. And that's why so many of us can be here, but not home at all, because home is over there, right? And what I recognize is I had a, I had a beautiful bride and these incredible girls that deserved a daddy who was home, and I was only here. So I had to figure out a process to help me come all the way home. And, and my process, I'm a visual guy, so... I envision them be on the other side of this door and I got to make entry on that door. Like I got to get through that door to get home. I'm only here. There's home. So I was like, how do I get to that door? Well, C4, C4 is amazing. Like you can cook with it. You can blow stuff up. <laughs> C4 is amazing. And so C4 for me became an acrostic and it was career, compete, contribute, and have a catalyst. And what it allowed me to realize is I was burdening my career with provisioning the satisfaction that only a career competing, serving and getting better can do, right? So I had to thin slice those. And I literally wrote these down on my calendar as four C's. Hey, did I do my job? Did I compete in something? Did I help someone? Did I get better? And it was ones and zeros. And I didn't get in the letter grade business because I'll never give myself a high grade. So, it was, hey, I did it or I didn't do it, right? And, and 
and I would stack together these three check mark days or these four check mark days, but it began to help me. It began to help me understand that I was counting more than I was costing. And so I just try to professionally do that across multiple business lines. And then, and then for law enforcement, I try to facilitate that. I try to facilitate that for law enforcement. Um, you know, Mike Smith was a dear friend of mine and, and, um, my passion for law enforcement and first responders is, is, is real and evident. It stems back from just some of the emails and, and messages I got after 9-11 when, when my friends who were in that profession knew where I was going. And they said, hey, man, I mean, they sent me a picture of them in front of my wife's house saying, hey, we got her. Go do the job, right? And, and guys back here, they got in my mom's house. And they were like, we got your mom, right? And, and um so for me, I've just always been like, man, I will never let economics or logistics stand between a protector or a rescuer or a healer and what they need to do to what they need to know to go home that night. And, and so that's what I get to do every day, man. And it, it, it is, it is not work. It is, um, it is a blessing every day to, 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 to go to our office and, watch people become this heroic version of themselves or try to because effort matters oh yeah so if they're in that place and maybe they haven't come to terms with it what do we do what do we do as a as people that weren't operators that weren't athletes that weren't any of those things what do we do to help those people out so so, so one, I, I think if you look in the Bible and you look at uh, Job. So Job really only had one great friend. And Job's one great friend was the guy that walked up and said, hey, man, this sucks. I'm so sorry. You're doing, I'll be over here if you need anything. <laughs> all these other friends try to tell him what to do. And they're like, hey, you must have offended God. And they ask him all these questions. And that one good friend was just like, hey, man, I know this is hard. And I, I don't know what to do for you but I'll be over here if you need anything. So I think what we have to do is we have to acknowledge that the transition is difficult. And then I think what, what they need to do is if, if we, if we shrink the lexicon to this concept of counting and costing, to just ask those questions and then listen and give the people you love permission to have a different version of counting and costing than you. Right. I mean, what, what makes you know that you counted that day and then just listen. And to the extent you can shape the environment where the opportunities for them to count in that way exist, that's great. If they don't, just acknowledge like, man, it's, yeah, I get it, man. It's, it's hard to count that way today, right? And, 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 and I think it's just consistency, man. I mean, that's one of the things that one of the guys I get to work with every day now played for the Steelers in the mid-80s. And it's so cool to listen to him talk about – just consistency. And that's, that's scripture again, man, Galatians 6, 9. Do not go where you're doing what's right. In a time we move to harvest and a benefit. And it's like as that, as that linebacker, just that read step, the, the, the fundamentals, the, the 0.25 seconds of every play of every great player is the same, right? Those micro – I mean, you know, as a, as a tactical operator, like it's malfunction or tap, hack, bang, boom. It, it, you take care of the fundamentals, you can free up that bandwidth to figure out what's next. And, and I think – when we look at ourselves as a welcome home nation and we get that, that immediate action drill where we just go, Hey man, fundamentally it's about counting and crossing. What makes you feel like you count? 
what makes you feel like you cause. And if you can impact those, impact them. And if you can't, just like, hey, man, I get it. I understand that. Thanks for sharing that with me. And, and just ask it again the next time. And, and I think it's just doing that over and over and over again, right? Yeah, sure. And so, so I know we're kind of going long here and we'll wrap it up soon, but your, your TRG, your company tried it. Where does, I guess, how to, uh, what are the, of your services you offer, what would be maybe the most rewarding and what is the most challenging to conquer or to offer? Man, we love training people. I, I would say the rewarding thing is watching someone figure out they can be their own hero very quickly in our facility. Like we built our facility as, a, as a, I call it a hero farm, right? And it's a farm, not a factory, because a farm invokes this uh, awareness of work and effort and time and and all these other things. In a factory, you can't automate confidence, right? You have to repetition and iterate yourself towards it. But one of the ways we built the facility the way we did, built it is to watch, to shape an environment where someone can become their own hero and begin to get confidence in their hero. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Um, I don't have instructors and trainers. I have coaches. I don't have clients. I have athletes. And, and, the, and the reason those words really matter because sometimes, not always, but often, if you're an instructor or a trainer, you're economically or, or tactically yoked to a particular way to do things. Um, a coach, it's winning, it's ones and zeros, like you won or you lost, right? So you can like the four, two, five defense, but if you're losing, you're going to switch. You're going to go to three, mm -hmm. four, you're going to go, it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, you can like the spread option, but if you're losing, you're going to switch, right? Because you, you're obsessed with winning and losing. And ultimately, when it comes to protecting yourself and those you love, it's a win proposition, right? So, and that allows us to stay above particular tactics. Like we, the world is very Bruce Lee, you know, Bruce Lee. Jeet Kune Do, that's really the fundamental philosophy is use what works, dispense with what doesn't. Like be water and flow around things. We have this concept called ready foo. And ready foo is really like we look at your reality, your personality, and your physicality. And we, the world is our uh, buffet of, of things that are going to help you take care of yourself. And that is, that is one of the most satisfying things. If, if you ultimately look at what we do as warfighters, we go to really bad places and try to make them better and give them back to the people that live there. And what we get to the Ready Lab is we get to do that for husbands, wives, uh, soccer moms, and SWAT teams in iterations throughout the day. So for me, that's super satisfying is to watch someone. You look at Maslow's hierarchy of skills and you know unconscious of competence and conscious of competence, which is which is bad. Hey, I know I should know, but I don't. Then you have conscious competence, which is with prompting or help, I can do the right thing. And we would articulate like, hey, you are, the trick is get off of conscious incompetence, not knowing what you know you should know, and get into conscious competence. And we evidence the presence of conscious competence by stopping yourself from doing the wrong thing. So self-stoppage and self-correction, right? And we can typically do that in 15 minutes or less. And it is amazing to watch terrified people come in and 45 minutes later, they're like, I'm a ninja. We're like, hold on. <laughs> like, let's let's back it off a little. But but yeah, I mean, you you got the bones for it, right? So that that's the most rewarding thing. And I and I and I love that and I crave that because as a and all the guys coach, like all the warfighters they coach, 
man, you want to talk about a good day's work, you go home that night and you say, hey, man, I taught the CEO that he's not helpless in his house and his wife can take care of his kids. I mean, like that's a very visceral good mm-hmm. day's work and a, and a daily win there, right? So that, that's, that's a, a start out route completed, right? And it's, and it's very similar as recreating that, those neural pathways of what a win and a good day's work is. Probably the most challenging thing, and I don't really do it, is I don't spend much time trying to convince somebody to take care of themselves and their people. I propose to them how to take care of themselves and their people, but I'm not going to convince you. That, that, that should be, if, it, if I have to convince you to do the right thing for yourselves, your family, your people, then we should not work together. Sure. And, and, and I care about you too much to hate you one day. And I may hate you one day, and that could be this afternoon or tomorrow if you care about profit over people, right? So uh, sifting through the population that says the right words but doesn't mean it, that, that, mm-hmm. that can be a frustrating thing because I was spoiled. I mean, I have, I have, I have always I have been spoiled consistently my entire life to work for and around men and women who mean it when they say they want to take care of their people and, and um, that's frustrating to be with business leaders who say that, but don't mean it. Clint, let's move on to one thing. Cause like Jeff Rose said, it's uh we're getting long in the tooth and we don't want to keep you away from your people for too long. But I, I think I could talk to you all night and I think Jeff could too. Um, let's talk about carry the load. Because I think it's a yeah. very important thing. And, and I think this is where people who aren't operators, who aren't athletes, who aren't police, rescue, first-line responders, this is where they can help. Man. So let's I, talk about you, carry the load. I, I'm telling you, the, the, the people who didn't serve, and one, I think service is relative. So I don't like to say didn't serve because like being a teacher is serving. right? Absolutely. And, I'm and finding that out in it. homeschooling. Oh, 100%. I got fired from every position of teacher. <laughs> <laughs> to include PE, I got fired as a PE teacher because of some some dodgeball incident with a neighbor's cat, which technically wasn't even my fault because the cat looks the same color as my house. Right? right like, yeah. No. Who could tell? Got it. Who could tell? Right. Got it. Um, but so for me, service is relative. But the magic and carry the load is the people who don't have to walk walking because we look for that because the seed of our anger in the veteran population is missing our friends and not thinking you care. Uh, but when you walk, you care. So I can't be mad about that anymore. And so the story carry the load, which Stephen Holly runs now, I, I retired from carry the load because, you know, I was, you know, I know what I'm good at and know I'm not. And I was, I was, I was doing too much and I was starting to make mistakes and faithful to the wounds of a friend and some guys who love me a lot, whole lot, just asked me some questions about whether or not I was the best person to continue to lead, carry the load. And I just, I knew intuitively that I wasn't and, 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 and not wanting to answer those questions poorly allowed me to give the reins to a guy that I love, respect and admire, who is incredibly fit for leadership for the season of carry. I'm an invasion guy. I'm not really an occupation guy. And, um, but carry load really began because I was mad and I was mad because this one weekend where we're supposed to remember the fallen, we were buying mattresses and my bride who's been with me a long time just kind of said, Hey, I've never known you to not do the things that do something about the things that bother you. So do something or get over it. So I just put a pound for every person I'd lost in a pack and I started walking 
on Memorial Day, and I remember I was down at White Rock Lake, and I could see this World War II veteran around the corner, and he just was ramrod straight and had this military bearing, and and knew he'd save the world, and and I wanted to say something to him when I got close to him, and as I got closer to him, he actually said something to me, and I had my headphones in, so I took my headphones on, and he, and he looked at I looked at him, and he said, "Son, who are you carrying?" And man, it just it just um, it buckled me because he he had articulated the ache. He had found words to help me express what I was feeling. So for the next few years, I would just walk on Memorial Day and I would I would load my pack with the pound for every person I'd lost since the last one. And and uh, I would just go until I couldn't go anymore. Then I'd, I'd call my bride and she'd come pick me up and I'd be like in Roy City or I mean, 40, 50, 60 miles, whatever it was, right? And Chris Kyle told me this one time, and he's and, he, and Chris. I, I wish people could have known Chris because Chris, Chris was wonderful, and he was sweet and tender and funny, in a way that most people wouldn't necessarily know. I, I think uh, whatever that guy's name is did a really great job of portraying him, um, of just the totality of who he was. But I remember Chris started working out again really hard, and we were drinking a beer at Crazy Charlie's house. I'm like, man, you're hitting it pretty hard, and he's like good pain pushes out bad pain and i was like mm. yep and so that became this organization called carry the load which every may um you know we we, we walk across the united states and 24 7 we're going the whole time they are and and we'll walk with the families of someone who lost one and we just say, hey who are you carrying and then we just listen and in the Memorial May relay, which may actually happen this year, I'm, I'm hopeful that it can continue to happen down in Riverstone Park. But man, it's magic. And I would tell you, probably 80% of the people that show up are people that are just great American citizens that have never served in an official capacity. And that's the sweet stuff because I know the veterans are going to be there. I, I know they're going to be, I'm going to be there. We're going to be walking that pain off. Like we know we need it. And the first responders, and like we know, right? But when you see a 60-year-old banker that doesn't have to be there, that's been walking for 18 hours, and I remember this. This is, I remember I was, I was this is young Army guy who was standing under a sign of one of his friends he lost, and I'd visited with him. And, and there was a guy I knew that, very, very senior, very successful executive, and he was dying. And he'd been walking for probably 16 hours. And I grabbed this guy and said, hey, listen, that guy over there is a banker. And he's been walking for 16 hours and he is done. But in his hand is a name. And it's the name of your friend on that sign right there. And he's walking for your friend. So why don't you go talk to him? And he, he sprinted towards him. He's like, show me your hand, show me your hand, show me your hand. And the guy opened up his hand and he looked at me and goes, that's my friend. And my buddy, who was the banker, was like, man, will you tell me about him? Because I've been walking for him, and I don't even know him. And it was just this magic that happened for this next few hours where this guy who was there when his friend had passed away was talking to this guy who didn't even know his friend. And there was this equilibrium that just kind of set in, and and that's what carry the load allows to happen. I I, I tell the friends of the, the, the family of my friends, like, hey, I'm not going to let anybody forget your kid, your father. And, and carry the load is the way that we do that. And for firefighters and police officers and, and, uh, and, and rescue and, and, and military, and it's, it's just this amazing thing. Just go to carryload.org 
this year's a little bit different, obviously, because what's going on right now, but it's, it's magic because for me, a lot of people are, you know, since I retired from it and Steven's just made it better since I left, because uh, I was always trying to fight people and do stuff. <laughs> Steven's stately and articulate and, and wonderful. Um, and Debbie and the team. Um, but there's these pictures that are coming up for the last few years and every picture is a story. And it's not my story. It's, it's a story I got to listen to as I was walking next to someone go, hey, who are you carrying? And I just listened to a, a, a young boy talk about his father who is a Marine. And um, it's just special. And, and I'm proud of it. And I'm proud of what the team now has made it. And I think it'll feed people's soul in a way that it's rarely fed if you plug into it somehow. Super cool. Clint, I want to let you go. Get back to your bride. Get back to your friends. Um, she's asleep. <laughs> That's okay. But you know what? I have Simon and Simon. I have like seven seasons on VHS. Oh, Wait a minute. Okay, hold on. Wait a minute. You have oh, yeah. seven seasons on VHS? Yeah, I mean, like that's the that's the real format, right? Like VHS. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but you, but you can't find Simon and Simon on anything other than VHS. If we're being honest, you right? know what? Yeah. Uh, I, I'll find it for you. I got you. <laughs> By the <laughs> end of next week, I will find it in a different format for you, possibly where you can watch it everywhere. I don't want to cry right now, but if you do, <laughs> that's going to happen. Okay. All right. It's challenge extended. Hey man, you guys are awesome. This was so fun. It's it's it's. I, I love this. I love what you guys are doing. I love um, I love uh, sharing stories. I, I didn't get to hear as enough as much of y'all's as I wanted to, but we'll just have to remedy that down the road. But sure, thanks for being here. Thanks for what you're doing, and and thanks for letting me be on, Clint. Man, it was a true pleasure, honor. Um, not to toot your horn, but you're one of the more special people I've interacted with on this kind of level. And um, uh, we're blessed and honored to have you. Now, we really appreciate you. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate it. I just want to add on to that, uh, Clint. Um, you know, we haven't known each other for a long time, um, but you are one of the most uh, special people that I've ever met in my life. Um, just what you do, what you give, one of the greatest Americans that I've met, uh, and and we appreciate so much that you took your time just to spend it with us and in anything that we can do for you, anything at all we can. Um, once again, just thank you so much for everything that you've done, everything that you're doing and everything that we know you're going to do in the future. Well, thanks for letting me be on this. Let me be a part of it. However, I can be helpful. I, I love this. I think this is great. My wife's usually mad at me on Friday evening. So this, this works out pretty well. And uh, so, so however I can be helpful going forward, let me know. And, DJ, I'll see you next time. Y'all are coming up and getting better at the Ready Lab. Yep. Uh, we Anything you need, you let us know, Clint. You got it, man. Everybody, so Clint Bruce. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Out of here. Booyah. Give me just a second. Mm -hmm. There we go. All right, man. What do you think? That was great. That was, uh, you know, he has an, a, a unique ability to speak to a person's heart. Um, there are a lot of things that I read about him and he talked about that 
that I can see in my own life and, uh, uh, or maybe some struggles or maybe this or that. Uh, I think he can speak to everybody because everyone is, has similar issues, but um, extremely special, uh, very well-spoken, uh, a down-to-earth, good old-fashioned, badass American. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's time to bring on Mikey. Um, we're going to we're gonna set that up right now. Is there anything that you take away from this, Jeffro, that, that maybe you didn't know before we went in or? You know, the takeaway is, you know, I've, you know, being an ex-athlete and, and competing at high levels, um, you know, it's funny as we used to think, oh, two days and this is so hard and you're hitting each other, whatever. And I, and, and I go, wait a second, this, you know, Navy SEALs, um, military, uh, first responders, um, they're put in some very uh, adverse, um, unfair situations and uh, they don't usually let that get the best of them. And uh, uh, you know what? Hey, I can create adversity for myself <laughs> a lot, but um, to challenge yourself, to push yourself, because if you get too comfortable, something's not right. And uh, I think that was the message I kind of got from it. But uh, he had so many different ones, um, victory versus winning, um, adversity of chaos, um, uh, they were all great. And, uh, I love the way he could expand on these and really give pick a kind of a genius's brain on this. And, uh, I thought that was super, super cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I was so looking forward to this interview when I met him, I knew five minutes into talking to him, this is, this is the guy to put on here. Hey, and I, I appreciate you doing this and getting it set up. He, um, Man, he he pulled up my heartstrings. I'm ready to go run through a wall right now. Yeah, it's it's I'm ready to conquer the world tomorrow. It is um just like listening to him. There's no there's no brag to him, there's no boast to no, him. There's humble humble sweet guy. And he, you know what I thought was cool is he said, "Oh, Chris Kyle was a sweet uh you know, passionate this whatever guy." And, and you don't always hear these guys talking that way the confidence and um, they exude. And uh, you know, when you're good at something, you don't have to brag on yourself. People will do that for you. Absolutely. And I think he's one of those guys that people do that for him. He just does his thing. He's very good at it. And uh, what can you say? Well, we're going to move on to a uh, guy in California. That's still in lockdown. It's going a little crazy. He's doing concerts. He's doing all kinds of stuff. Mikey. Dustin, can the, you hear me good? Oh, I can hear you so well, oh, you Mikey. Sound you sound beautiful. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful. Because it's taken a while for me to, uh, you know, get these speakers the right way. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, real quick, before we get going, Mikey, um, you know, you, you had some trouble this week, um, some stuff that had happened. I just want to say that, that us over here at the Dads at Drinker with you, and I'd like you just to announce that out because I know how important that person was to you. Oh, yeah. So um, April 29th is always a special day for me. Uh, my, my mom, uh, who is my heart, uh, ever since I was growing up as a kid, a lot of people talk about uh, high school like they have a great experience. 
But for me, it wasn't the greatest experience. It was more of an experience where I was a great athlete, but I wasn't cool. I wasn't in the cool kid crowd. I didn't drink and stuff like that. But I always had a mom who would like write me notes telling me that I have this special thing inside of me. And I didn't believe it like for, for years. But eventually after your mom sends you like a hundred notes, you finally start to believe in yourself, you know? So my mom passed away from cancer um, 10, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, actually, um, April 29th. So that was something that I was going through. Uh, but I think every, any person that has lost their mom or their dad, it's one of those tragic days where you just, you know, you, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. And um, so I, I, I went through that, you know, and um, my sisters and my family and all of our family, you know, it's like, you know, you're a great person when, you know, 11 years down the line, there's like, a, you know, thousand people chiming in about how, how great your mom is. So, um, yeah, that's just something this week, you know, you, you, every April 29th, I, I go through it, but um, my mom is my heart and she'll always be my heart. Very well said. And I'll just reiterate something is my, uh, my wife uh, lost her mom. Gosh, it seems like three years ago now, and I may be off and her dad before that. Um, moms are special. Mother's Day is coming up. Um, mothers are special. Why you got them, love them. Why you got them, uh, cater to them. But um, her, speaking for my wife, her, she took it hard and she still does. That's That's a very huge loss you don't feel once or twice you feel that the rest of your life it's a void and the good thing is this they're not lost they're not gone they're just waiting for you somewhere else well i didn't want to start it off uh on a on a bad note but i i definitely wanted you to get that out there to people that might not have known or people that didn't see it sorry mike yeah all right i tell you um (laughs) On a, on a positive note, I got to get this for you guys. Right oh my here. god! I, who knows second. what what he is going to bring back? Replant brownies. Okay, so I got I got I got to tell you my story. Well, actually, this is a frozen martini glass. That's related. To that. oh, okay. Okay. So I finally got my unemployment checks. <laughs> I don't I don't got to count them. I did this five of them here, but I got I got to tell you the story. So, All right. You know, Missy, she's she's in the front line, so she's working in the hospital, and she's like, "Mikey, you gotta, you know, check your unemployment because everyone else has gotten your their unemployment, you haven't." So in my life, I have never claimed unemployment, and anybody who does, I'm okay with. I pay into it. You know, if you're you can't work and you can't get a job, I understand. So this is the first time in my life at 42, 43 years old, I've ever tried to get money from the government, you know, because I can't get a job or whatever. So I call up and there's these special numbers in California because there's so many people out here to try to get your unemployment. So I call up and I finally get in touch with someone. And I, and I, right away, I, I, I'm like, thank you so much. I know you're getting bombarded with calls. I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you. Um, can you get me to someone who can help me out? So he says, no problem. Boom. Puts me on hold. Two hours. <laughs> okay. But, you know, so like as, as I'm going through this process as, as a multitasker and a bartender, I'm like, 
Yo, I'm gonna do push-ups. I'm gonna do planks. I'm gonna do curls. I'm gonna make power. So it's not a waste if something doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, I'm gonna call back because I'm 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 gonna conquer this. Uh, you know, I, I need to get this money. So after two and a half hours, the guy answers the phone, goes hello. I'm like hello, ball hangs, hangs up. up on you. <laughs> That's the IRS move, man. <laughs> <laughs> they were just yeah, checking. They were like, like, that son of a bitch stayed on the phone. We got to hang up on him. Yeah, you just like you look at yourself and you're like looking into the sky. You're like, no. Did your, did your blood pressure go up? But, it, you know, actually, I laughed. I started laughing hysterically. <laughs> it was that bad. I was, I, 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 <laughs> it was that bad. So I was listening to your, um, you guys' interview with Clint. God bless you, brother. That's, you know, you're amazing what you do and the continued things that you do. But he was like, you know, learning from failure, right? So in my life, I, I, when I went for acting for 12 years, I, I got a lot of failure. So I was like, they can't hang up on me. I'm calling back. So I <laughs> called back. It takes me about another hour. Someone, and I say, hey, look, man, I know you live in Torrance, which is one town over from me. I just want to let you know, bro, I'll give you a hundred dollar cash right now. I'll drive to your office. If you could just go into the system and just, I know there's a glitch that's holding up my stuff. Like, and I, I know you're working hard and he's like, honestly, Mike, I, I, I can't do it. You know, this, this isn't in my system. But what I'll do is I'll take your number down. I'll put you through the next call. And you know, that's all I can do. And I said, you know what? Thank you so much. You know? So he puts me through an hour later, I get a girl <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so happy to talk to you. And, and I, I just want to like, for everybody that's watching, like, this is what a lot of people have gone through. You know, I got yeah. a house, I got a mortgage. I'm freaking out. Like if I didn't get this, you know, unemployment, I'd be in serious trouble. Like, so I finally talked to her and she's like, you said that you were injured. And I, so I said, ma'am. I could tell you that I'm not injured. If that's what it says, then I must have filled the format wrong. I've never filled out a form on unemployment, so I have no idea what to write. She goes, you are not listening to me. You said you were injured. <laughs> so, 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 so I'm like, so now I'm like, I'm going, ma'am, I've been on the phone for three and a half hours. I, I respect you. I'm not trying to you know, say anything against you, but she goes, you are still not listening to me. Click, clicks me off. What? Mm -mm. Oh now, shit! Now the laugh kind of went into a. Oh my god, I can't believe she just did that to me. But I can't talk to her. I can't like try to explain myself. So I'm gonna wait because I heard the music come on. You know that music. Your answer will be called in the line that you were called into. You know, and then it had the same music or whatever. So then I was like, I got, I just got to stay on because if I reset myself, I'm going to be back to the like five hour mark. All of a sudden a guy answered the phone and he was like, yeah, you, you listed yourself as um, injured. And I, I was like, man, could you just, I got a house yeah. yeah. I just, I just went like with the voice and you know, I was like, please. And he, he went, it took him 10 minutes to go into the system. He did it. He mailed the checks out. They just came today. Ooh. We going, How many you got? How many you got? 
five. Do they, are they actual I mean, checks? Or they put, is it all like on a card? No, it's all checks. You can you can get them on a card though. And, and okay, if I could tell anybody out there, if you do file for unemployment, you ask for the card because the checks will take way longer to get. So ask for the card. You'll get like a credit card that'll have the money on it. Um, I've never done unemployment in my life, and hopefully I'll never do it again. Uh, I got to tell you guys some other news. So our town is freaking out because they're not letting us use the beaches. So in Huntington Beach, um, about 50 miles uh, south of here, they've been open. So the governor, um, uh, Gavin Newsom, he closed down their beaches. And the whole town freaked out. There was like a, a big... Um, you know, nobody's social distancing, no one's wearing masks. And there was pretty much like, I want to say like 5,000 people like protesting in Huntington Beach. So my town had a protest of like 60 people. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, when you protest with 60 people, I can tell you this, you're going to get a fine if you do get fined. So these people went on the beach and then when they went off the beach, they were getting like $1,000 tickets coming off the beach how you much know, has your guys beats been shut down? wait a minute wait a minute okay a thousand dollars you no that's too much yeah, that's crazy the reason that they do it is because if you hear you no it is crazy I, and i don't agree with it at all but if you hear that you're going to get a thousand dollar ticket will you step foot on the beach <laughs> no i no. know that to me a thousand dollars like you know it's a lot you know and then you'll <laughs> get shamed by uh I know we're going to do this bit here, but I was at 7-Eleven yesterday and I was filling up my lawnmower gas can and was ever. And I was like, oh, crap, left my wallet home. And I scrounged up like a dollar fifty for a gallon, you know, whatever it is. Went in there and I'm standing there and I was literally maybe 5.9 feet away. And the lady was like, sir, social distancing. Do you know what that is? <laughs> I was like... And of all things, I actually apologized to her. And I was like, I'm so sorry. This yeah, extra you're a gentleman. three inches you're a matters a lot to you women. Whatever. Yeah. But it's it's probably it's it, honestly it's not just women. It's it's a uh it's you know, people take a stance on this. And I, I feel like I'm in the in the neutral stance where I have friends that you know don't want to leave their house, and then I have friends that just want to break all the rules. I'm just like, I'm going to stay home. And when they back to work, I'm going to come back positive, happy. I'm going to enjoy my time, you know, and, and that's what it's going to be. You're going to overcome like, the I'm, I'm adversity. In the neutral stance. Dude, I'm going to learn from failure, as Clint told me. That's what I'm going to do. I think you'll be guys, the... Before this, before this little drink session, before this drink session starts, all right, I got to ask you guys a question. Oh, my God. Okay, each of you can think about it. I know it's going to put you on the spot because, like, as Clint was talking, I was watching you guys operate in the back there. You know, watch. And um, so what was something that you thought was cool when you were young but you realize is not cool now? DJ, you could go first or Jeff, you go first. Whatever you guys want to do. Uh, and, and if you Me. And if you want... If you want, I can no, it's me. Questions. That's the answer. Me. You thought that you were cool. When <laughs> yeah. You were young. yeah. I found out. <laughs> yeah. I got three daughters that tell me on a consistent basis. I am not cool. You're not cool. Dad. No, yeah, absolutely you, not. 
but you you actually believe that you are cool come on a little mm, bit. no not really they they he tell does. me i'm no listen i'm balding i'm overweight uh <laughs> there there's a lot of things uh something that i thought was so what cool is something you thought you're cool when you're younger yes um, you realized that you realized wasn't cool when you were doing it um trying to be a player it it i thought that was the cool thing to do um you know and that is not the cool thing to do um, <laughs> i know right <laughs> womanizing that it is not and actually she makes you into a royal douche so yeah i thought more the merrier um oh okay i gotta grow i'll do that nope uh that was not cool i'm gonna extend this question out to anybody that's watching just put it in the comments something that you thought was cool that you found out was not put it in the comments i don't want to be a player no more uh you know it's funny that you say that growing up because jeff you posted a bunch of stuff the other night that was like took me back in the day like tony hawk doing the 900 yeah um all that you know i never i never really skateboarded i i had one but it was like a it was like a piece of shit skateboard me um, too. <laughs> like i don't know i remember one time my mom told me that if we sold our house uh i could get a diamondback bike and I, Ooh, and, Diamondbacks yeah, are the bomb. right, right, right. Diamondbacks so there was no way I was getting a diamond back any other way. So she said, if we sell our house, so man, I do everything I can to help get the house ready to sell. You know, I'm a kid. <laughs> we sold that fucking house and I never saw a diamond back. Not one time. Damn. Damn it. Uh, damn it. Diamondbacks were sweet back in the day. Uh, what's uh, your, uh, what's your, preferred bike for your bike jumps now <laughs> it was a mongoose i was on oh was it really uh i did graduate up to a 14 year old's bike um and uh wait you made another there. jump oh yeah it's gotten bigger oh dude i tell you what the next show you have to have video evidence okay of the next thing you do okay i'll, I'll do that i'll do now, that listen, right before you're about to jump Okay, now I know you're a football player. I know you got a big tuchus. Okay, you got to take your tuchus, throw it into that thing as soon as you hit it. Oh, yeah, oh. you got to pull up on the bars. You got to get air at the right time. Mikey, Jeff is going to he's going to kill himself by the time this is over. No, because the last time I saw you go, you did not pull the tuchus. You got, like, no air. Oh, I know. My, my wife recorded the first, like, run that I did and not, like, the fifth. It was not a very good posting. Thanks, babe but whatever so my wife put on yeah, in the comments she put uh, name brand clothing she thought that was cool found out it wasn't the, hey i'll tell you what my buddy used to do what about hyper colors uh you remember guest jeans i, I, I used to i used to wear uh I, yeah guest jeans hell yeah i used to wear tommy i used to wear i used to wear tommy hill figures okay tommy hill figure jeans and I would wear them really super low, but low enough to where I would never wear them that low again. <laughs> so you were super, were you into Marky Mark? How everybody was wearing it. 
you know, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? Not really, but I was, I, I like Biggie, Tupac, you know. It, it just was the, the generation that you grew up in and the friends that you hang with. I don't know. I just, that's what I listen oh, to. Oh, I, I like all those guys. Uh, but do, do you remember the hypercolor shirts that when, <laughs> when you got hot, oh, yeah. I mean, it changed too, color? Right? You can't wear those as an adult now because we're fat now. So only <laughs> certain parts of the shirt change color. <laughs> I know. I, I agree with you because when you're young, you're wearing the tight shirts to fit your things. Oh, I didn't do that. And then all of a sudden, as, as you get older, it's like, you know, let me let me wear like a size extra just so I can feel, you know, oh, hell yeah. chilling. That's, oh, yeah. You know? But my buddy, Nathan Leonard, used to uh, get his pants and he would make a guest sign. <laughs> iron it on there. The back. <laughs> and, uh, like, yo, yo. Do y'all remember Knights of the Round Table? Hell yeah. Like I the was, like my, 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 my mom and dad were like um, shoes under sixty bucks. Um, knights of the Round Table. Like you mean British knights? <laughs> British knights. <laughs> Not knights about. of the Round Table, capas? right? Remember capas? Uh, wait, what? Know, wait man. a minute. Wait a minute. What do you th- wait? Knights of the Round Table. What are you talking about? Well, Knights of the Round Table was like the knockoff from Polo. So you had like your Polo sign, right? Knights of the Round Table and like. They didn't have a puddle. It was like a get flag. the fuck and, out of like, here. Really? Yeah, it was. It, yes. it was like the che- it was the cheaper version of, of that yeah. brand. Yep. Absolutely. So basically, you you just you just paste it over, and then you go and you're like, "Yo, baby, I'm going to Sizzle, or you can eat salad bar. Look at yeah. my polo. I'm looking good over here." Yeah, and then I would have my Jabo jeans on. And I would really oh man, Jabo jeans! I had one like, pair of Jabo jeans. Jabo uh, Z Cavaracci. Z Cavaricci? Oh, Cavar- Ca- Cavaricci's. <laughs> See, where I was growing up, people had the Cavaricci's. Hey, me had this conversation. Big- what about Polo Cologne, like the green? Uh, that's my Polo favorite cologne, cologne still oh, to this man. day. Why you spray that on? That, listen, uh, I wear a lot of uh, retro colognes. I wear like, uh, I still wear, uh, Cardinal, yeah. uh, a lot of people call it Jope, but Jupe, you know, the pink one, I Jope. still... Yeah, I still wear it because it's flowery, but it's fresh. Jupe is fresh. I like jupe. Chrome. Yeah. Polo. What was the other one? Oh, chrome was good. Jabachi? What was it? (laughs) Jabachi. There was cool water. Cool water. We all grew up around this. Yeah, we all grew up at the same time. Jakar, cool water. Um, I love that stuff. Obsession. 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 I mean, you put obsession on, you're going to smell it like 10 yards, like 50, Oh, yards people still, yeah. you know, people, when I wear it at work, people are like, hey, man, are you, are you wearing jupe? Because you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't give a fuck, them. Hey, guys, give me like two two minutes. Go ahead and your thing, Mikey, if you need to. Okay. All right. He's got to, he's got to go take a pick. All right. So, so we'll start it. We'll start a cocktail off right here. It's going to be, uh, um, so, Sometimes when you go to a bar, you're going to order a drink and you want a martini. Now, martini is not a comp- complicated drink, but one thing that uh, some people uh, is, do you put vermouth in it or do you not put vermouth in it? In my opinion, I've bartended for 17 years of my life. People don't like vermouth. Now, some people, you may take vermouth. You, you could put it in the rim of the glass, spill it out, and that's good enough flavor for adding vodka or gin to it. That's what I do. I'm not going to put any in because yeah, I I don't believe in it. Like I I think it's a better, like 
if you're going to drink a martini. So, so what is vermouth? we're going to do. Okay. Well, there is sweet vermouth and there is dry vermouth. Okay. Dry vermouth is just a, it's kind of like a bitter tasting alcohol liqueur made from martinis that some people like the taste of. All right. I, I particularly don't. All right. So guys, I I I bought this bottle. That's you Texas. You there you go, Texas. Tito's vodka. Okay, right there. Now my, yeah, and my girl was like, Mikey, why are you buying Tito's? You know I don't drink the Tito's. She doesn't like Tito's because it's super neutral. You know how many times it's distilled? Uh, ninety-two. Six times. Okay, right, you got it right on the money. Right? All right. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, Tito's is like probably one of the, if not the most popular vodka, but the most up and coming popular vodka. It's out of Austin, Texas, drink respectfully. And it's a, it's a really smooth, great vodka. Uh, it's gluten-free if you have the glutens. Like if you take a girl out on a date and you're like, yo, baby, what's going on? She's like, yo, you look cute. You're like, yo, you look cute too. She's like, yo, I got, I'm allergic to the glutens. You're like, no problem. I got Tito's, okay? You can make her this drink. So what we're going to do is we're going to fill ice in a, a pint glass, okay? You can do this at home. It's pretty nice. Okay. You're going to dump dump in a two ounces. So it'll be like a shot and a shot. Okay. So then in your glass, you're going to have two olives. Let me, you, can, you can put blue cheese in it. Let me ask you a question real quick. Because uh, we had a, we had because I made these earlier today in preparation for tonight. And my wife and I were talking. What's a shot glass? Is it one ounce or two ounce? And, and a shot glass is one and one quarter ounce. Okay. All right. Okay. I didn't so, mean to interrupt I mean, you, but you know, yeah. oh, no, no worries, no worries. So at home, you can um, you get most shot glasses are one and one quarter ounce. So if you go to a bar and you do a shot, it's gonna it's not just gonna be an ounce; it's gonna be one and one quarter ounces. You typically, if it's just in that little shot glass, it's gonna be a an ounce. Okay. But if you get like if you get your local bartender who pours it to you in like a, a, a rocks glass, they're gonna give you that much. So a lot of people will on a dirty martini. So we're also gonna pour olive juice into the okay, just a little bit. If someone says, Yo, I like it ultra dirty, super dirty, you put more in that, okay? I'm using some dirty martini. So then you're gonna take your olives, okay? Some people yeah, that's it right there. Boom. Okay. So you, you, you put your two shots of vodka first into your pint glass with ice. All right. So then some people put blue cheese in their olives. Some people, you know, these are actually, there's garlic inside these olives, which my girlfriend got me. They're, they're, it's pretty awesome, actually. You get them at Trader Joe's if you have Trader Joe's. Yeah, we got those. Okay. So then what you're going to do is you're going to take the top. Okay. Okay. Shake. All right, now if you if you don't have a shaker, you can take a spoon, put it in the cup, kind of shake it around, and then you're just gonna. And believe it or not, that's how easy a martini is. Um, with a lot of martinis, there's gonna be different ingredients and stuff like that. But <laughs> and here you go, right? You give that to your lady. You take a sip. Boom. That's a dirty martini. I love it, dirty. And your lady could be like, yo, you're being dirty. Yeah, you could be like, yo, you're being dirty. You'd be like, no, baby. 
It's just a martini. That's I right. Boom. So pretty Bada much. Boom. And and this is like one of those drinks. I I always say martinis are like dajams. Okay. And when I mean dajams, I mean um, <laughs> boobs. Two are two are great, right. but three three is way too much. Yeah, three is way too much. So. If you're hanging out with someone, try not to do more than two martinis. That's all I'm just saying right there. Really? And this right here? Yeah, because there's nothing good that happens after two martinis because it's probably about five, six ounces of alcohol when it's all said and done. You know, after that, you just want to kind of turn your tides to something else, pretty much. I love the, I love the new headset, by the way, Jeff. Thank you, sir. Beautiful. I'm trying to be professional. So I, got, I got a question. All right, okay. give me just a second. I got to get some stuff. So, so, okay, listen, you go get, get some stuff. I'll talk to Jeff for a second. So, yeah. So, Jeff, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're about to get in a serious fight or brawl right now. Oh, it's freaking okay. on, dude. Like, it's on. You're going to get in a fight. It's on. What song comes on from what soundtrack or what song comes on? Why you're about to brawl. Hmm. If you could pick one song to pop on, like as it's going on, he's going to mess with you. He's messed with your girl or some of your family. There's no backing out of like talking out of it. You know, it's going down. What song is going to come on? Eye of the Tiger. <clears throat> <laughs> I think I think mine would be uh I, I think mine would be my, my, I think mine would be like Welcome to the Jungle, you know, got little Guns and Roses. I was that was my next one because I grew up as a tiger and that we always that song always was played. Uh, and my other one would probably be uh, Eminem's You Got to Lose Yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I think I, uh, you know when you're in a fight, it's one of those things that you realize when once you get in, there's no going back. It's either he's going to get beat up, you're going to get beat up. And it's it's almost this flight or fight thing that, you know, obviously probably Clint has well, I think, Yeah, I think Kelly a lot of it is there's a lot of people that act like they want to fight and they really don't. Um, so, yeah, you find out real quick, pushing and shoving and, oh, and, and all that stuff. I wasn't exactly. a fighter. But, but there's, I, in my opinion, no, me neither. But I mean, I'm sure that we've been in them. And the crazy part is like once I think that, you know, your kids, anybody that has grown up has had that moment. And it's a scary moment when you're just like, for me, some, some of the times this happened when no one's around and you're just like, I could get seriously messed up here. <laughs> like as yeah. you're doing it. And, and then sometimes you surprise yourself. You're like, wow, I'm pretty freaking good there. I you could know, expand like where there was on the that, you were in my first you real fight and stuff, but you know, we'll say that for another day. Let's let's hear about it. Oh man, there was a I guy. I want to hear about it. Let's hear Andrew about Andrew and Carlos. This was elementary school. I was probably, um, I don't know, what are you in fifth grade? I think you're like and twelve. Whatever that was. It's Eleven. And yeah. um, they lived around the corner, <laughs> and where my mom and dad lived. I mean, I rode my bike. It was literally like two, three blocks away from the school. And uh, 
Shout out to South Knoll Elementary. What up? Um, what up? Well, these guys have been MFing me. And, and, and I was a big kid back. I mean, I was, I grew fat. I mean, I was a big kid. And uh, uh, they would walk me down to my house and then and just instigate things like, oh, your mom's this or, or you whatever. And then I go, your mom's a bitch. I was like, oh, don't talk about Your mom is a motherfucker. I was like, how can my mom be a motherfucker? But okay, that's really bad. And um, I finally chased them down, went home, got on my bike, chased them down to the school. And I put a beat down on them. I had them under a fence, kicking them. Um, that was the first fight I've ever been in. And I haven't been in a lot of fights, but boy, those dudes deserve it. And Mr. Holland wanted to spank my ass with the paddle. My mom was like, you ain't specking his ass. He stood up for what I think he should do. He stood up for his family. You're not doing a damn thing to him. So now they, my dad told me if I would have lost, he would have whipped my ass. But that's a different story. <laughs> First fight. <laughs> that's, a, that's awesome. That's awesome. I know. I think as we get older, we realize that, you know, I know that, you know, I'm in a relationship now. My girl will get angry at me if I get in a fight with someone, even if. I'm right so she you know we have we have a house you know it's like I understand where she's coming from but like the, the young kid in you with the fire you know and you know you still got mm -hmm. the testosterone it's like sometimes you just you know they had still it have it inside this, this has gone on for like three weeks they were freaking doing their thing so I had it coming what you got next Mikey yeah did I miss a question you want me to make the drink or you want me to ask you another question did I miss Ask the other question. question? Yes, you did. What was the question? Right, what was your the song? Question was, the question was if you, yeah, if you're gonna okay, right right now, let's let's imagine you're out. Somebody pushes your family. We're your in wife, St. Louis, or, freaking you know, down like you we love did. To where you, yeah, you, yeah, you're in St. Louis. You can't you can't break this down. Like you're gonna have to get in a fight. What okay. song comes on in your head? To get you to get you fucking motivated. It's gonna be death metal. No. <laughs> it's gonna be. Uh, I want to hear it. Oh. Probably, probably something from Barry Gibbs or uh, no, uh, no, probably DMX. Uh, probably DMX. Uh, party oh, up in here. Earth. Rough Rider anthem. I don't know. Love. Uh, maybe uh, say that again I said you're a big big DMX guy uh, yeah uh, maybe uh, maybe some Tupac maybe uh, uh, let's see uh, <laughs> I know it's hard I know man because there's so many good ones uh, oh, maybe Pantera Cemetery Gates or uh, Respect by Pantera. Pantera. Uh, Daryl. Yeah. Uh, have you? So what? So I got a question. What? What, what happened to you guys when you, when you were up there? Did the guys? Some guys attack you? What, what happened? No, no. I was just trying to lay the lay the groundwork for them to think if. Well, first of all, me and DJ, yeah. bless our wives. We hit him on the dance floor, and, and we were dancing so suave and freaking him down. And I, and then there's girls that just want to walk up and dance with you. 
Okay, you know what? Don't include me in this because that was you. <laughs> but go ahead and tell the story. But that was definitely you. Uh, I didn't do anything but dance on my wife like I was a beast. So I don't know. He actually turned to his. Okay, so the story is we're dancing at this club. This girl comes up, starts freaking in front of him. He turns around to his wife and he goes, "I don't know. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. I." What am I supposed to do? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my hands. I don't know. I <laughs> do I dance back? Do I not? Do I just shut them away? <laughs> What'd she tell you? It was a weird moment. I don't What did she tell you? <laughs> um, I think she looked at me like, um, better be dancing with me and don't even go there. <laughs> All right. So I, I got another drink for you guys. Okay. okay so that, that, was the, that was the dirty martini. As you can tell, cheers. I already finished it. <laughs> That's what you got to do. You put it down, but you want to finish a martini before it, it gets warm. All right. So the next drink is going to be a drink, not necessarily for the ladies, but a lot of ladies are going to like this drink. If you have, if you have, oh, look at that. You drink a straight fluid right there, Jeff? Damn. Ice is still in there, but yeah, that's a dirty martini. Yeah, that's a, that's a dirty martini. You can drink it on the rocks, too. It's all good. Yeah. I finally made okay. a drink this week. I, I took the time to make one, so and I'm <laughs> quite enjoying these uh, dirty martinis. They are delicious. Uh, let's see your dirty martini. Show it to the crowd. Oh, he's had oh it sitting there since the beginning of it. Okay, let's, let's, see, you take a, let's see you take a swig for America. Hey, he has to pace himself because last week he got a little foobard. You know and, what? Uh, we don't need to talk about it. That's old trivia, shit. Which he will do tonight. You don't need to talk. That's old yeah. shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I could say this. Mike DJ didn't win anything last week, and I probably won't win this week. So any anytime that you're going out and someone wants a drink, but they don't, they don't like the taste of alcohol that much or they're not used to drinking a lot of alcohol, you want to I just don't hang out with them. Well, I know, but I'm saying, I'm saying like, I find new friends. DJ, that's very disrespectful because one day you're going to have a friend who's a Navy SEAL whose wife just ha doesn't happen to like booze. And then you're going to be like, you know, what do I do? Or does she have a problem? I, uh, you know what? I'd make an exception there. Yeah, exactly. And then you're going to be like, I remember what Mikey J told me. I'm going to make it this drink because I know it's a good, easy drink. She's going to like me. She's oh, going to hand her the drink, uh, and she's going to be like, DJ, that's the greatest drink ever. And then you're going to be in there. Okay, I, so remember, uh, I remember a so, lot of things that you tell me, Mikey. See, there you go. Like there that you, you don't have okay, microphones. <laughs> you know what? We'll talk about that in a little bit. So, <laughs> No, no. I got a microphone to play music. But I don't have a microphone to do this. That's why I got my Beats by Dre. I saw you had Beats by Dre. It's working. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put them on. Is it a more clear sound for you? What do you think, yeah. Jeff? I'm going to defer to you, Jeff. I don't have Beats. I've got... Oh, okay, boy. you can't put those by the microphone. I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've got Nox gear. <laughs> you got the squeakers, dude. You got the squeaks. Yeah, I just, like... That's the worst thing you can do. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> That's okay. I'm so sorry, DJ, dude. That's okay. My, my dog just oh, my shit God. on the floor and passed out, but okay. Right. <laughs> hey, by the way, DJ like and I actually saw each other um, this past weekend. Just, yeah. 
face-to-face uh, moments. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, we wish you could have been there, Mikey. We guys five feet. Oh, we were we way closer. Oh, no, no, no. We were within inches of each other. Yeah. He took me upstairs. and, and <clears> Did you guys give each other the bows for bros, or did, you just, or did you give the hug? Oh, we hugged. Uh, we did the fist bump. No, I think we hugged. <laughs> well, you probably did. And I'm pretty oh. sure I kissed you on the mouth. Hey, you know what? I'm all about that. It's okay. All right, all right Mikey. So not I'm to make the next break and then we can talk about Yeah. Nah, it's not, it's not about me. It's about you guys. All right, let's so, go. No, it's about you right now. They don't want a lot of alcohol. Okay? So if you have Malibu, you're going to order a Malibu, cranberry, and pineapple. This right here is the quarantine. So I don't have Malibu particularly, but this is a coconut rum. Malibu is a coconut rum too. So you're going to put two shots of coconut rum, okay? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Boom. Every bartender that pours always counts. Whether they're telling you they're counting, they are counting. Like when a bartender is always counting in their heads, it's always like one, two, three, four, five, or a shot is one, two, three. Boom. Okay, so then we have pineapple juice. Now, pineapple is always going to – bada bing, bada dash. Pineapple is always going to cover up anything. So, like, you can pour two shots of vodka with pineapple, yeah. and someone's going to be like, yo, bro, I don't, I don't taste the vodka. It's like, yeah, bro, because you're using pineapple, okay? But this right here is a Malibu Bay Breeze, okay? So I'm one of those hot, humid Texas nights where you're sitting in the back and the mosquitoes are just going nuts. Do this in Walken's voice. And, and, and you got, uh, okay. So on a tight night, you're in the backyard, mosquitoes, they're biting you. And you kill his tendon, and Clint is hanging out, and you, you're nervous because you want to make his wife happy. Smile. She says she doesn't like the taste of alcohol, so you make her a uh, uh, Malibu baby. Very good. Very good. Hey, so Mikey, check out what my, uh, what I use here. It's this Rum Haven made with oh, rum water. Rum Haven. Rum Haven's the same thing. Perfect. Cool. Okay, so you, okay, so you're gonna dump one to two shots in there, right there. Oh, oh that sandwich. is good. Yeah, that's delicious. Yeah, so you, so you dump two shots of that in, uh, yep. uh, cranberry, pineapple, and you know, there you go. Well, I cheated on the pineapple and went with a cran pineapple drink. That you know what? That's that's all. In the quarantine, you do what you got to do. It okay? fucking works. Whatever. Yeah. So right. been, He's got another question about you coming on board and doing this all the time is that we have grown to like each other and have a camaraderie and we get to visit. And I really enjoy that. So thank you for coming up with these questions and being a part of it. Oh, dude, I, I absolutely love you guys, man. And, uh, you know, the, the great part about like friendships are, you know, like you go in life, you move to places but um, when you meet people that are genuine and true and have like a big heart, you guys both have huge hearts, man. And I was like, as soon as I met you guys, like, and then like, you know, slowly through all this, you know, you're lucky, you know, and I, and I feel like energy is contagious. You meet people and they're attracted to like, you know, good energy. And I think you guys are great energy. So I was like, I'm, luck I'm lucky to have met you guys for sure. Likewise. 
but I got to ask you a question. <laughs> what is something that some people learn only after it's too late? Say that again. You, you broke up there. We had an issue with te- technical. Okay. What is something that you people only learn after it's too late? What is something people only learn after it's too late? Well, I think we could tie this into drinking. Yes. I think that could be definitely drinking that, that people, when they first, when you get people that first start drinking, they, they drink way too much and find out the next day that that was the wrong thing. What do you think, Jeff? I know. And and the truth is like, go ahead, Mike. I, I, I got to intrude on this. I got to okay. intrude on this. So All right. I totally agree with you. When you, when you, when you started as a young drinker, it's how cool you are. It's how many drinks you have. So mm-hmm. you go out, you tell everybody, Oh, I drank four, I drank 14 beers. I came home. I peed myself. I puked myself. I you know <laughs> shit myself. And, and everybody thinks you're cool. But then all of a sudden you hit 30 years old. It's not cool. And now you have to start to lie about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you're like, you, you you know if you drank six beers you're like yeah I think I drank three beers you know well that's just because eight beers you don't want to look like an alcoholic I drank, I drank four yeah because you're gonna be well that too like all of a sudden in your twenties you're not an alcoholic but in your forties it's like yo everybody wants to have a meeting with you like yo I think we need to take Mikey aside <laughs> you have no problem you know, going on yeah, yeah you're one drink actually, away from well, blowing a guy for a cheeseburger so. Uh, <laughs> So for me, I guess, um, repeat your question. <laughs> got to think about some it. Some people learn. So what is, what is it? What is that some people learn only after it's too late? They learn that cheating is not an option. Uh-oh. You should never do that. No, don't. Cheating is never an option. I mean, like, you know, people you go, in relationships and they um, go, oh, no, oh, being, a, you know, whatever. No, that's that's not an option. That's not good. Um, and you <clears throat> lose the people you love. That's a bad thing. Never. I'm not a cheater, though, but I'm, I'm oh, dude, that's, I mean, Well, not why I've been married, at least. So, Mikey, you know, you always exactly ask us questions, like, uh, but you don't answer them. Yeah. What's so? What's that, something you okay. learn that's too late? Um, <laughs> I know it's a family show, so I gotta, no, I gotta keep my. It's okay uh, to have sex drive. It's okay. <laughs> what are yeah. you talking about? There's something that I've learned only after it's too late. Why are you reading your I own question? You wrote the fucking thing, Mikey. He's now thinking. You want? You want to know why? Be- because your beautiful wife is, is, is listening online. She's commenting, and I, I have to be careful what I say because I don't want to You do not n- listen. Trust me, being married to me, she's heard it. Um, I would say that um, on a real, uh, like at a serious level, when I feel like when I was younger, I became friends with people because I thought they were cool. Whereas nowadays I'm friends with people because I, I see their heart. Whereas like, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be friends with someone because I thought they were cool. Now it's, 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 I, 
yeah, it, it's a different, it's a different kind of thing. Like I'm not friends with so, like, um, if I meet someone who's famous, that's cool and everything, but I'm not, unless they're like a great hearted person, I'm not going to take my relationship to the next level with them because you know, you only have so much time in life. You, you only have so much time for friends and family. And in the beginning, like I would meet someone, I'd be so like, Oh my God, it's this person, whether it was like a famous athlete or, or uh, let's say it was a college guy that was like on a sports team that was like, you know, while I was watching. Whereas now it's like, the people that mean the most to me are the people with the most integrity, that kind of thing. So when I, I was young, I would, I would do that. Yeah. So I got another question for you. All right. All right. You can, you can ask advice from any historical figure mm. from any time in the past. Who is, is it? And what question do you ask? DJ. I would be like, JFK, did you fornicate Mal- Ma- Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, DJ? Just kidding. That wouldn't be mine. I just am stalling you guys because I, I haven't heard an answer yet. Man. Uh, God. Oh. You can ask a question to anybody. How about, okay. Jeff, this goes back to when we very first started this show. I would ask one of the Egyptian pharaohs, whichever one, did aliens help build the pyramids? Oh, gosh, yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Well, that's I don't know. Crazy. That's why I would ask them. I don't know. You know, and, and you know, if they did, yeah, exactly. was technology like it is now advanced and then the earth was Oh, destroyed, and, yeah. And then we have to rebuild and we're still stupider than we were back then. Good point. I like that a lot. Um, There's a lot of pressure right now, Jeff. It's like, you know, a lot of pressure is built up on this question. You still have no answer. And you seem like you have no answer coming to you. No, I have one, but it's (laughs) it's so um, cliche. So I'm trying to get uh, creative here. Um, How about... I would like to OJ Simpson. Did you actually kill? <laughs> oh my God. Your wife. Did you actually kill? <laughs> Wait. OJ, okay. Let me, let me set a ground though. Do they have to be honest about the answer? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good one then. That's a really good one. I mean, he fucking did. did it. He did fucking did it, it, but did the glove actually fits at the time. You know, supposedly, let let me give you a little bit of nerd movie trivia. So, who has seen the movie Navy Seals? Uh, but Charlie Charlie Sheen, Sheen Michael B. N. Uh, okay, so O.J. Simpson was supposed to originally be in that movie. Hmm. They sent him to the the training and everything like that. Well, when he got done, uh, they gave him a a knife uh, from that, and they think that. The, the conspiracy theory is is the knife that he was given for training for that movie was the knife that killed Nicole Simpson. Damn. A movie prop killed Nicole Simpson. Well, it was, a, it was an actual, it was a real knife. But it was given like, hey, thanks for training. Good luck on the movie. Hmm. I don't know. That's a conspiracy theory. So, so guys, here's another quick... 
here's, here's another crazy story. So before Michael Jackson died, it was rumored that he came to my beach where I worked. Okay. And a mother came up to him while he was at the beach and said, get out of my son. That's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, I know. Well, so, 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 my, so mine would be to ask Michael Jackson. What the hell really happened on that? I just watched the documentary last night. On that Did Finding you? Neverland oh, or Leaving it's Neverland? Neverland? It's called Finding Neverland. Yeah, yeah, Finding Neverland. It's on HBO. If you don't have HBO, I'm not saying you could do this, but if you do have a friend or a password, you might be able to use their password to get on. Not, <laughs> I would never do that because that's illegal. But I could say that if you, know, you don't have HBO Plus and you wanted to see Finding Neverland, I would never do that, but you could do that. So I actually have this prescription and the, and the subscription and I watched it and I always believed that Michael Jackson didn't do it. Oh, bullshit. That dude and after watching, it was, it was like, ah. Oh, bullshit. There was like a, there was. I can't get past the freaking pedophilia. People want to celebrate him. Oh, Michael Jackson. That dude. Lick dong, I mean, kid dongs, and had it, it was terrible, awful. I can't listen. Do all you guys anymore. watch the documentary? Yeah. Do what? Uh, did you watch the DJ? Did you watch the? Uh, no, but I've I've heard all kinds of stuff. Like there were, like escape uh, routes. I, I tell and, you what, there's one and, thing for. Yeah, there's one thing from hearing it and then watching it because after you watch, like I I was like. You know, these guys are lying, da da da. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, you can the pain the rest of the life the, the kid's going to. I mean, he's like, he, he might have got some money, but it, it's just, it's heartbreaking. But um, Michael Jackson, man, he he just, he was on a different level and he was a star. And so that's the, parents the, were like, that's the question you're going to ask? That's your question. Yeah, I, well, no, I just asked that because, uh, well, only because no, only, only Jeff uh, asked that, asked the OJ, so that's why. I well, you know, that. O, OJ doing it was fun, but yeah. in all but, but Mikey went to a dark a place. Question. My question. No, my question. No, no. Yeah, my question wouldn't be that actually at all. My question would be, yeah, could Jay, John Deere was Lynn, you know, like how was was it like a 10 out of 10? Was it an 8 out of 10? Was it a 7 out of 10? And yeah, that would be my question. What was your question? Your answer? Would be asking uh, Jeff Kett how the oh. relations was with Marilyn Monroe. Because those happened And too. maybe I would ask someone that knew Jeff K or knew the situation who killed JFK. <laughs> who, who killed you, JFK? I don't think JFK knows. It was yeah, shot yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he didn't go. Oh, that fucking guy. He's like, oh, <laughs> he's like that motherfucker from across the way. He got me. Oh, oh, you son of a bitch. Oh, you got me good. So you know, we we work in Dallas, right, Mikey? So I have a buddy that we work in in inside dallas right so people will come up and ask yeah. if you're like on the street you know going to a restaurant or something downtown dallas hey uh where was jfk shot and my buddy 
used to always tell him, uh, like right here, instead of pointing him to the to the spot where they he would go, yeah, about right here. That's funny. About right here. That reminds me of my old yeah. my, my old buddy's dad would be like, "Hey, I know where they're catching them out there on the lake. I know where they're catching them." And you're like, "Oh, where, where do we go?" And he goes, "Right here." I was like, "Really?" Thanks. <laughs> So everything's good. So, so I went to I went to the doctor. Go ahead. What's up? No, go ahead. No, I was gonna say so. Something with my arm, and I I broke my arm in two places. So I I went to the doctor and I said, you know, doctor, you know, I broke my arm in two places. What do I do? And he's like, don't go back to those two places. That's oh my dad. god, what are dad. we what yeah. the fuck is Where's happening your sound right effects, now? DJ? Hold on. Oh my god, who the hell cares? How, how's that one? Oh my god, who the hell cares? <laughs> I like that. Hey, by the way, like that. Who gives you see DJ's care? Like, look at the production quality. This guy's Committed, dedicated. He's in it to win it. Man, that guy. Yeah. Dude, he's on he's on the edge of perfection with this. Now if I direction. could now if I could just actually get people to watch and listen to us. <laughs> We're getting there. That man. would help. We're getting there. We are. Let me tell you something. It, it is a constant, you know, it's a constant and never ending improvement. That's how that's how it comes to. You guys no, are I think the thing for us is Clint alluded to this. It's not about social media likes or whatever. It's about we want to produce the best possible content, the best possible show with guests who have a good quality store to share and have content. And that will sell itself. We're not, that's all we want to do. Um, likes, shares, views, exactly. they're going to come. We keep doing a show and be true to ourselves and what we want to accomplish. It'll happen just like you. I mean, you're true to yourself, you're true to your craft. You're, you've gotten creative with what you're doing during this time. You're doing videos. Um, you caught our attention. You're a regular guest on our show. Um, and you're a wonderful guy. So that's all going to transpire in the way it needs to. So uh, don't get too lost in all the commotion. The end result's what matters. No, exactly. And I can, I, I can tell you guys this. When I first started putting out videos, I would get uh, two or three you know, views or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as you know, you make more and more friends, you're out there longer and longer, like people are going to watch your show, you know, they're going to be connected to Clint, you know, the, they're going to be connected to, to uh, the, in the last show, like the music and, and, and what's going on in Texas. And then the, the musician you have on before, and, and it's like, it adds up, you know, it's like one of those things. But um, in the beginning, like just recently, I had somebody come on and they made fun of uh, one of my my videos. Like a guy heckled me. Oh, and what's that guy's name? Let's go yeah. after him right now. Yeah, I thought of, I thought about that, but but I, I can't. I don't want to do that. Why? So any fuck that guy. Let's go. I mean, I, we could do it later. But anyway, this guy comes. This guy comes at me and he says that, hey, Mikey, you know you're you're. Bartending performances were cute at first, but now it reminds me of a Gilligan's a Gilligan Island episode that's just on repeat. So Isn't as soon as I got the message, I was energy and, and keep oh, yeah. being uplifting. 
But you know what I found about trolls yeah. is that so the whole point of it was. I, I, what I found out about trolls is they're usually people that aren't doing shit, and they go after people that are. So. And they, and they never have their picture on their Facebook account, and they never have anything like. So so anyway, like at that moment, so when I was first became an actor, I won this reality show. I was on a soap opera. And I had all of these people that really liked me. And then I had this like 25% group that came at me and it was so hurtful. And I, I called my mom and I was like, mom, and I was crying. And I'm like, how could these people say things about me like this? They don't even know who I am. I just, I'm, I'm an actor. You know, and she was like, you know what, Mike, you are a great person. People are going to hate you and love you. And if people hate you, at least they're hating you, <laughs> you know? So when I got this guy's message, I was like, you know what? I, I, obviously, I'm making these videos, and until somebody hates me, I'm not making it yet. So I was like, <clears throat> then I responded to, to the guy, and I was like, hey, bro, if you, if you don't like my video, you can just scroll past me. But I, I wish you well, and I hope you, I hope you have a great day, and uh, I'm not going to say anything bad. And he just responded, I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I so, think what, what- – yeah. I've told my son there like people are like bullying or doing their thing. When you don't give them this, that satisfaction that you're bothered, they don't know what to do with that. Like, Hey, you know what? Sorry. Didn't like it. Peace. Have a wonderful life. What are you going to say to that? Uh, I'll do that. You know, (laughs) I promise you though. No, the, The cool thing was, I promise you he doesn't scroll past your videos. He might say that he and was gonna, but he don't. Like, you know, yeah, and the cool thing was, like, I had like two or three people right after him. You know, just you don't know, Mikey, da da da. You know, like, and it was cool. And I and I tell you, so I have an, another episode for tomorrow, and it's all about thanking like my friends, how much they mean to me, like on a daily basis. You know, during this crisis, you know. Uh, I, I lost purpose. You know, my purpose was to bartend and go into bars and make people happy. And I lost that. So I was like, what am I going to do to gain some kind of purpose in life? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make these stupid videos and I'm going to amp myself up like 20, 30%. I'm going to do this kind of crazy thing. I want to make people laugh. And you know what? People started liking it. And I started getting like 200 views, 300 views. I think my top one got like 1,500 views. But in the long run, it's all because of the people. It's not because of me, you know, and the connection with the people. And, and I think that that's what you guys are developing right now in your town. And pretty soon it'll spread because not just people in Texas will listen. There's going to be someone in Texas who has a friend in Georgia and they're going to be like, yo, I really love that. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you got to be answered by Tito's and, uh, and Malibu and contact. You know, what's, you know what's crazy <laughs> is, uh, me and me and DJ have talked about this, but um, it's you know really staying true to ourselves, and and we're open to anyone that has a story to tell, whether it's a singer, songwriter, um, a Navy SEAL, football player, a a regular Joe, it, anyone that has a story to tell, we want to get those stories out, and and then tell our own little stories internally, like we're doing now. But um, I think if you just stay true to that, exactly the people that come on, like, you know, Clint, he has so many wonderful, great connections. It's not about the connections per se. It's, it's about 
Um, it's about uh, just being at the right place at the right time with the right people. You do all that together, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, and I think it's going to – I'm very optimistic. I don't want to talk about us, but I'm very optimistic. Hell, yeah. I think I think what you guys are doing is great, and uh, it's just going to keep building. It, it really will. Um, 100%. So, Mike, I got a question for so you. D, so, so, DJ D, – D, all right, let's let's hit it up, DJ. What's up? No, Jeff has a question, a question for you. My question oh, is Jeff, this. Jeff's got a question? Yeah. The question is this. The greatest sports team in history across the board of all sports? Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan played for him. Gosh, dang it. Nah, I like that answer. Get the fuck out of here, Mikey. Nah. Six championships. About the Patriots, man. They no, five they're fucking cheaters. Fucking Patriots. <laughs> um, it's got to be the Bulls. The cheaters. Are you a national fan too? <clears throat> Am I you what? National fan over there? No, Texas Rangers. The Astros. Mm-mm. Rangers. Oh, the Rangers. We never won one, so <laughs> we've been there. The though. World Series where we lost. That sucks. So uh, I, I actually think one of the best teams. I think one of the best teams ever was the Golden State Warriors. I, mm. I think they only they only lost uh, eight, eight or nine games the entire yeah. year. They were on fire. I mean, that was pretty dude, special. Curry, Thompson, Green. They they had the big guys, guys off the bench. They no one could touch them. Even LeBron James, they only won one game against them. The only thing I would say about I mean, that Michael, is Michael. I mean, Michael Jordan. Even though golf's an individual sport, you could say Tiger Woods may be the most dominant sports figure, team, okay, whatever. Okay, now I got a question. So it has come out that Tiger Woods is um, associated with that guy that was the big HGH guy. I think his name was Victor oh, Conte yeah, or something sure. like that. No, so like it doesn't make you a better putter, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he was driving guy by 60 yards, and he was he was like 50 pounds less in weight than them. I'm so gonna leave like, this one. How the hell is this guy doing that? And then when he this that's you, but, Jeff. You got you. I'm gonna let you take this one. No? Jeff doesn't like cheaters. So HGH is a little yeah. different. Yeah, it's so you don't, you, human growth hormone. Like so for that, um, <laughs> for that, um, he. You, you get a tiger. It like back. a steroid or performance answer, but what HGH is, is it makes you heal faster. It makes your recovery half the time. Um, and in sports, injuries are a, a big thing. That's it's part of it. So um, Peyton Manning took HGH also. No one like when he had his neck thing and he came back. There's no doubt he took it. So I don't have as big a problem with HGH as I would like steroids or whatever these other performance answers are, but HGH is a thing that you can recover from injury. It heals you. Um, it rejuvenates, revives a lot of the, your, your, your blood cells and, and those things in the injured part. So it helps you get on the field faster. And our Tigers Woods, he was having all those issues with his back, his knee. So there's probably no doubt he took it. Um, as long as it's illegal. Yeah. And, and as long as it's illegal, don't do it. And, no, Victor Conte was giving him 
HGH. You think he wasn't giving him other stuff? I'm just saying. Oh, that. I mean, I know where you're going with that. I'm gonna pour myself. They another. developed. They developed oh, formulas of drugs that would go undetected for the longest of times. So these people are tested. Exactly. Who knows? Uh, and it's they, just like out there for you know people. That, uh, lost chains and they find a way to, to break them and, and get through it. And they lost chains and they find this to do. So um, I do hate cheaters though. I do hate that, but HGH is a funky one. It's, it's, that's a weird, that's, that's a very, so I got a question. Are you, are you, are you a Roger Clement? Are you a Roger Clemens fan? I loved Roger Clemens. Yes. You love him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, don't you so he's marry a rule him. breaker. But yeah, he's a rule breaker. He's a known rule breaker. And but he's a Texas guy. Everyone loves him. Everyone that's played with him has loved him. But he a hundred percent was doing steroids but and breaking the rules. And according to you Who wasn't doing steroids during the Sosa McGuire days? You know? Who wasn't? And I think that was the pressure is to keep up with everyone to to produce to do this in uh, in baseball benefited astronomically from the steroid era. Baseball won because the fans and you know scoring runs and um, oh baseball won on that. Um, I do think this um, when you're as great as Roger Clemens was for that long, and same with Barry Bonds. You know they're not inducted to the Hall of Fame. Those guys should deserve to be in the Hall of Fame based on their merits alone, because so much is unproven and unfounded, so much speculation. Go by what they did. Steroids can't, I mean, steroids can't make you throw a ball at this one spot. Uh, steroids can't make you hit a ball far. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. Uh, I I, well, okay, the only Rose, thing I would, wait Rose a minute, the only thing I would disagree with you is when you say the steroids can't make you throw the ball farther. Yes, they can. Well, no, I'm saying they like, can make your bats. They can spot. make your bat swing your yes. speed coming but around they faster. They can make you in this one area. You know, they can't make you locate. I, and I get that, but Jack, you got to admit that it, it enhances. Absolutely, absolutely. Jeff. But where Jeff. do you cut that off? Like Barry, these guys are in the record books Hold of all time. You're not them in the Hall of Fame. So Jeff, I got a question. I got a question. No, no. First of all, I think Barry Bonds should go into the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. But he's the only guy that they that they would intentionally walk with the bases loaded. Bases loaded. Because he had a one in six chance of hitting. That year he yeah, hit 70, was it three home runs? Was yeah. the so guy you mean did tell, shit. You mean to tell me the 70, he, the, the, the steroids were working for Barry Bonds. You have to but that. that guy didn't miss. He wouldn't get pitched to you, and he didn't miss a pitch all year. And then he was still getting on base. See the way he's on base percentage was like the best of all time. Uh, know, and then yeah, you look at uh, Go ahead. His neck shrunk after after he was done with baseball. Oh yeah. His neck just like you know. Mm-hmm. So he was definitely enhanced, and and his enhanced went went from fifty home runs to seventy three. So that's to, incredible. To let me thanks here. Let, let me, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was saying like Lenny Dykstra of the New York Mets. He was right. an average, he was a good center fielder. He batted two seventy-five. He's he he in his book that autobiography that he comes out with, he says, you know, I started doing steroids. He went from 
being that to a 330 uh, all-star starting with 33 home runs and 30 stolen bases. I mean, it's amazing, but it, it destroyed his career later on. when. Yeah, he had some other drug problems. You know, and issues, but you take all those guys that were doing performance enhancers, and, and they're not in. The one guy, in my opinion, that should be in is Pete Rose. The guy has paid the ultimate price, and I think it's a travesty he's not in because he wasn't betting on games where he was playing in or managing. Or if he did, he was betting on them to win. Like, it wasn't – I think betting on games – and this is another deal. I think me and DJ talked about this. um, The Jordan, the last dance, I don't know if it comes out in that, but he had a gambling issue. Supposedly he was gambling on his own games is the rumor – and that's why he got kicked out and went and played baseball. So, well, Rose, the only thing with the Jordan thing. thing, though, and I, I agree with you, the, the gambling thing, but he was asked to step away, I think, because you can't – Pete Rose was great, and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> but he's not Michael Jordan. He's not the greatest no. of all time. Right. I, I mean, that, and that's the whole thing with it is – that's why they asked Jordan to step away. You're going to kick the greatest basketball player out ever. I mean, look at Tiger Woods and all the fucked up shit that's gone on with him. Oh, yeah. But he's the greatest golfer ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. So no matter what happens, he can set people on fire in front of people. They're not going to get rid. They're not. I know. But it's, if, a, it's a double standard, I know. But if he was a, a fucking guy that barely made it through, they're going to burn him. Oh, yeah. That's the same way with Michael Jordan. Pete Rose, it's the same way with him. He still doesn't have, I would argue that he's not even as famous as the guys that you're talking about here. About um, when you talk about Barry Bonds or when you talk about any of the Bash brothers yeah. or anything like that, he's not even. Would you agree? He's not even as famous as them. He was. I think what he's become. No, I, was, infamous. I, no, I would say. He, I would say. I, no, I'd say he is because he actually is the all-time leading hits leader in the major leagues. Triples. Hits. He has a lot of records. I, 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 and I understand that. But has Mark McGuire ever been on a WWF WrestleMania? No. Mm. How Let's about Sam, how about Sammy Sosa? No. How about Tiger Woods? No. How about Michael Jordan? No. No. Exactly. There's a difference in Pete Rose, which absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and these guys that we're talking about. There's a absolutely different level that they're on. So let me ask you guys this. In the same accord here, um, we you know you have your Pete Roses and all that, but. What about uh, – I'm trying to see how I can word this right. Um, I'll come back to it. Let, let me let me wrap my brain around it, but I'll come back to it. But anyway. I'm All right. We're see. looking at like three hours and ten minutes right now. Okay. So let's, um, let's push you, this along. You guys are up late. Yeah, let's push this along and uh, get to the trivia. Whoever in the audience, I'm sure Josh will play. Uh, Mikey's going to play. Jeff's going to play. Anybody else want to play? I'm going to try and block you out from the camera if you want to play and you don't want your face to be seen. 
we can take up to eight people so you have to let me know in the comments though if you want to play so we can we can talk for a few more minutes then we'll take a bathroom break we'll well first we'll close the show down take a bathroom break and then we'll come back and 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 play trivia is that good with everybody so let's finish yeah. up this discussion though uh mikey say something while jeff wraps his brain around what he wanted to say it was the astros is what i was going to say well i figured I mean, it was astros something ranking all this shit i figure because you're a huge astros hater I hate well, 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 you know what the thing is, Jeff, you could say that everybody else was cheating. They were just doing it on a better level. Cause no, everybody, that, this, this no, crossed because, a barrier. No, no, it's not just part of it, but this honestly, crossed a barrier. That's. Uh Oh, it, it, it hold on. Jeff, Mikey game. jumped himself out of the. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. Mikey. All right. I literally lost my train of thought there. That's okay. You can think about it while I'm trying to bring him back in here. Every week. There's been a few lags on there, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with the lags. Not too bad. I, I really like this Zoom thing, so. Well, you know what? While we're waiting on him, why don't we just... In the show? Yeah. Well, he's back, so we'll let him... What happened, Mikey? Yeah, I'm back. But every week, you know what? Mikey. No, no, I can tell you this. I hit I hit the button on the side of the thing right here, and that just you don't do that. Okay. Just don't hit the uh beats by Dre on the <laughs> left side. All right. All right. Yeah. Hey, let's uh what do you guys say? You wanna Jeff, finish out your Astro thing because I love so I when you get like that out. I was saying, like, how do you feel about the Astros and all the crap they did? Um, being out in LA so angry okay they, they, they're more angry about the um because they beat the thing. dodgers that one of those years well of course and and not only that but the boston red sox who cora ended up becoming a coach for mm -hmm. beat the beat the dodgers the next year so the dodgers made the world series two different years they played the astros the boston uh red sox and lost both years and both years Kershaw got completely crushed. Oh, crushed. He's a, well, he's a change-up pitcher. So basically, who's to say that his failures wasn't all based on them knowing what he was throwing? And Kershaw is... Been, and you know what? Kershaw is... A, you know, Kershaw is from Kershaw's Dallas. Kershaw's a great guy. He's from uh, uh, Lake Highlands. So, yeah. And I, I'm telling you this. Like, I, I'm a Mets fan. I'm a, I'm a Dodger hater. But I have so much respect for Kershaw because he had an interview after this past last World Series, and he he didn't have to take it, and he sat down there, humble. I would have cried. He just lost the World Series pretty much, and he said, "You know something? I'm not going to apologize to you. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys know like everything that you say about me is true. I fail. Damn. I suck." But I don't care anything about that. The only he goes, the only thing I care about is the people I let down in that that locker room. That is the only thing I, I'm here to let you know that I am so sorry. I'm so sorry to those guys. That's what him. he said. I wish he, he took would leave the Dodgers and come to the Rangers. And you know what? He might. You know, he's a, he's a loyal he's a loyal good guy. Like, but he's I think he'll be a Dodger for life. He is the best regular season pitcher. Of my generation, like yeah. stats wise, 
No one's going to be better than him. And well, he so, just had so he had some bad situation. Yeah. I've enjoyed this. We're going to stay on, but what do you want to promote? What can we do to help you out? And uh, what do you want to say to all the people out there? Well, anybody who's watching me from Texas, um, hit, hit me up on uh, Mikey Jerome at YouTube. You can check out all my, my bartending videos. And you can also friend me on uh, Facebook at Mikey Jerome. And, you know, I, I stay in touch with people. I try to put, like, uplifting videos. Just, I don't really put a lot of political posts. But what I do is I just put funny, uplifting posts. And then, uh, you know, any, anybody who stays friends with me, um, I'm, I'll stay friends with you. And that's just how I am. If you come to my town, eventually down the line, I'll show you a great time, you know, and, uh, until I got no uh, lungs, you know, air in my lungs left. <laughs> Jeff Rowe, what do you want to promote, brother? I want to pro promote our good friend and guest, Clint, on this evening. Um, um, Winnie the Warriors, care, I mean, excuse me, carry the load. Everything can do for those people. Remember, there's someone else attached to those suffering people and uh, the importance of that. And uh, I'm honored and super excited to have Clint on. It was a true privilege. Guys, I, I this is one of my favorite episodes so far. Uh, Clint, we can't thank you enough for coming by and and telling us everything about your history, about your future that's going on, and all your organizations. Of course, we have to thank Mikey Jerome for coming by, doing his two drinks. Stop by and see him on Facebook. Stop by and see him on YouTube. And always, always share, like, and subscribe. The Double Speak Studios and the Dads That Drink podcast. Guys, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one. We're out of here. See ya.